All right. I am here with Julian Fries, my podcast brother, the first time repeat guest of Music Friends. He's seen all eight planets and he's not impressed. What's up, buddy? I am very good. How are you, Danny? I'm good. I'm doing good. I uh, just fresh off of a like a hike or something on the mountains. Saw some pictures. Uh, that was a couple days ago. No nope. mountains today. No uh, mountaineering. Uh, just hanging out in the in the neighborhood, in the suburbs. Uh, yeah, nothing super exciting. So yeah, first repeat guest. Uh, was the was the process any different for you this time? How how are you feeling Not- second time around? I'm ready to bring the motherfucking ruckus, you know? Oh, that's what I'm talking about. <laughs> All right. So uh, the first album we're going to do here is the one you chose, which is The Planets uh, by Gustav Holst. Uh, the Planets, Opus 32, is the something album of some number of albums by <laughs> Gustav Holst. Uh, <laughs> I say this uh, because... It is really hard to go through and determine how many compositions this composer uh, put out uh, during his career. Did you find this to be a struggle as well? Yeah, yeah. We were talking about this before. It's like, oh, this this format that you're asking the question. It's like, um, which one of the? I think there's like 15 interpretations of the of the piece. It's. I mean, it's an interesting difference between classical music and you know, everybody else is not the artist isn't the person performing it. It's different groups of artists performing a piece. So it can be interpreted in many different ways, but the, I believe the one that we chose, which is the Berliner. uh, Yeah, you're on it. You're on it. The Berliner something. I don't speak. (laughs) Uh, Their, their version is generally considered to be the best version um they they the times kind of change a little bit it's like 14 seconds though it's just about the speed of the composer and stuff like that but that's a like a composer choice so it's interesting but this is the the generally considered to be the best version of it i in my looking into it that's all groovy and actually very clarifying yeah the berliner uh philharmonic yeah. Uh, so, so to finish this out, as shitty as it is, the Planets Opus Thirty Two is the something album of the some number of albums by Gustav Holst. The album was produced by someone, uh, conducted <laughs> yep. by someone, and was released slash premiered September 29th, nineteen eighteen. So definitely yep. makes it the oldest work that we've. Uh, tackled here on Music Friends. With that, Wu Tang uh, didn't have a, an album in nineteen eighteen. No, but I I think that Gustav is kind of like the RZA of the the nineteen teens, don't you think? That's, like really just like disrupting uh, everything that was going on. <laughs> no, but we talked about this. I think we kind of even talked about this on when we were introing the last thing. Is it's kind of a Yeezusy was mm. received. It was received as kind of a a disruptor at the time. Bro, I, I, you know, I am excited. I was excited, am excited, will be excited I'm going so forward excited about. I'm so excited to hear about, talk, to talk to you about this. I'm yeah. so excited to hear. So for the people that don't know, we do not talk about this at all in the interim. Correct. So 
any i'm excited to hear what danny has to say we have not broached almost anything about how he feels about it how i feel about his album so it's it's always an interesting this is i'm excited yeah i came up with uh way more depth and connections uh not just culturally not just with music stuff but with even music friends there's there's some kind of two and three level layer connections Ooh, to be made uh, with this music and then even just some other weird references that i've just been sitting on and just could not wait to yeah talk I'm to you about. about i'm literally rubbing my knees right now <laughs> Ooh, <laughs> all right so with that uh first question get it started how does this album make you feel uh it, this is one of my go-to um I know, well, it's specifically one track, but the whole thing always makes me feel very connected to my childhood. Oh. Uh, it was my, one of the, it's one of the first albums that I really remember um, as far as like all the way through. Um, used to, me and my brother used to, we had like a decent sound system and we would put on Mars the Bringer of War. We would like play war with that as the soundtrack. We would be like shooting at each other and like, like from behind couches and like play around like we were playing war basically. Wow. Um, That's cool. And so, but the, I mean, and, and you know, I mean the rest of the album, obviously we wouldn't do that, <laughs> but uh, so I remember that very vividly. Um, Jupiter makes me fucking cry every single time I hear it. Pretty great. much. It's great. Uh, great track. Uh, it, it's 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 also like it's a great entry point into classical music and i was talking to my dad pretty close to recording this and he was uh explaining to me why it was the only classical music cd that he had on the whole rack i mean it was literally like right next to boston or something like it was not at all his kind of music but he said it 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 tells you how to feel about mm. every song and it was the first time he it was his entry point into cla into classical music because it told you how to feel um and it gives you a gateway into into the music because it's literally this is joy this is war this is and it, it's a little bit more direct as opposed to i feel like everybody kind of feels like yeah I, I mean not everybody but a lot of people feel like it can be difficult to engage with classical music because it's kind of, uh, I don't know, it seems hoity-toity, I guess. Yeah. And without um, vocals, it's harder to maybe interpret which way the song is going, which way the composition is going without some direct notes. Um, and uh, I certainly found that uh, to be the case with this. Uh, I felt all kinds of different ways. Did you want to put a bow on, on how, how this made you feel or are you pretty much wrapped up there? Um, it just, it, it makes me feel a lot of things because that's the whole point of it, I guess. is That's yeah. mostly where I wound up is the point of the whole piece is to make you feel different things as you're going through. Um, I guess that's the bow is that it's literally emotions are meant to like it's joy. It's 
mystery. It's it's a whole bunch of different things, and they're supposed to make you feel that way. So it's a it's kind of a difficult question as far as this is concerned because it it spans so many different emotions intentionally. That's perfect. Yeah, it's totally true. You've got uh, basically seven different movements, which is a word that I learned when I was researching this. Yep. I'm not going to call Way them songs. Go. They're movements. But mm-hmm. yeah, a contemporary, and I believe someone that, that uh, drew inspiration for Hulse when he was making this, Ralph Vaughn Williams, said mm-hmm. that Hulse uses a very large orchestra not to make his score look impressive, but because he needs the extra tone color and knows how to use it. And that's definitely true. You have, even in, in all of the different movements, you have a variety of different things being uh, pushed pushed out and, and uh, impinging on you. I, yeah. I felt uh, clear and focused when I was listening to this. I think everything nice. is just so sharp, uh, whatever. Uh, emotional color or uh, uh, thing that the movement was experimenting with, uh, it just felt like it was ringing so directly to me. Uh, At other times, I felt peaceful, wistful, uncertain, triumphant, and otherworldly. I mean, this is about the planets and and especially the last track, uh, Neptune the Mystic, where Mm -hmm. there's kind of this ascendance, this uh flirting with divinity this uncertainty that that really it leaves us with and um it, it's it the only is, vocals yes yep the only uh vocal accompaniment on the the number as well so i'm with you i think you i think you nailed it I, you've got seven different movements that display a lot of different emotions and colors and uh to feel one thing you ca- is kind of missing the point. I think there's just a variance of yep. rotating ways to feel about this. So with that, uh, what's the most interesting instrument to you? Again, an incredibly difficult question in orchestral. <laughs> <laughs> like, uh, we have, uh, there's 50 plus instruments. I, I had to look this up just to get a number to it, but it's generally about 50 plus. Um, wow. But for me, I mean, I, I, I feel like any, any kind of classical or any kind of uh, like instrumental stuff like this, generally um, my heart goes towards the, via, uh, like the, uh, the cello or the violin, like the strings, like really like it's, it's important. It's, it's, it's obvious, but they grab your heart they grab your heartstrings it's yeah it's 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 what engages you in the emotional affect of it generally i mean you have like it's more so the lighthearted stuff i mean you have uh the the brass is a little bit more um angry and or it can be still lighthearted but it's a little bit more in your face the strings kind of tend to stay in the back but still like move you like they're the the kind of base of everything um so yeah i guess it's it, it's the yeah it's the violin and the cello i mean especially um jupiter i mean i i jupiter's my favorite there's a part of jupiter that is i think the greatest one of the greatest pieces of music ever made 
I, I don't think a ton of people could really disagree much. We're going to get into the influence and all of the strings of yarn that you can draw back to this album from classical composers and then up into contemporary musicians yep. and uh, soundtrack. Uh, Score and stuff and, like that. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, uh, yeah, Jupiter is just chock full of Jupiter influence. knocks my fucking socks off every single time. That's that's easily my the standout for me. I mean, yeah. I, I found like for every movement, I found like a little tidbit, uh, the best thing I could find to describe it. And the one for Jupiter was an abundance of life uh, and vitality, which I thought was so perfect. Yeah. The number is just so full of life. What do we need? Oh, I mean, who, who doesn't need a little bit of that in their life right now? Yeah, <laughs> for sure. Yeah, I think your answer is probably a little better than mine. I love the strings too. They they really uh, pull you up and down throughout. I I I went with the female chorus at the end of Neptune. Oh, you you really dug Neptune. It's interesting. Yeah, it it felt like it feels like it it must have been way ahead of its time. It, that that really must have fucking freaked people out it, hearing the whole that. Thing, in I mean, Mar- Mars scared the shit. People left. Yeah, like they were like, I'm not dealing with this. Like they, like this is World War One was starting to happen, and it was literally like, hey, here's Mars to start it off with. This sounds like the war. Like here yeah. you go. Yeah, yeah. I, I thought it was interesting. Uh, I believe he wrote Mars specifically before. I've got it here. He wrote it mid-1914. Yeah. So I can't remember when World War One started, but I don't believe we had entered at that point. No, no, not Should at probably all. look this up. Uh, I got but, it. I'm doing it right now. Yeah. When, when did we – when did the Lusitania go down in the – Atlantic is, is going to be important for this. But I, I, I did come to the conclusion, I believe, that most of this was written, uh, well, World War One was 14 to 17, I believe. So yeah, never, never mind. I'm off on that. Yeah. So the war yeah. was going on. There is war influence in this. There, there has to be. For sure. Well, he couldn't go to the war because he was uh, like he had like health issues. He wanted mm. to go fight in the war. And that, that was part of the reason why he didn't uh, – that's why he wrote the piece. And he was doing some other stuff. He worked with, like, the YMCA and stuff. Okay. Uh, doing uh, – he was very influential. Uh, he worked at, like, a women's um, college. And he was really trying that's to get right. women into music, which is really cool. Like, at a time when not that – not a thing. Um, yeah. And uh, proto feminist holst. Yeah. Yeah. You seem to be a pretty, pretty cool dude. Interesting that Venus is not in the. Or wait, is it? Is it? It Venus is. It is. Okay. Yep. But. Yeah. No, he was. Uh, yeah. He was like a proto feminist. And uh, he did eventually get. He got stationed in somewhere. But he got stationed as like the music guy yeah which is a thing that existed in world war one still he actually not... served then it's sort of but like in like a sort of executive 
capacity, not really served. But it's like, it was still a time when there was like fucking, there weren't still drummers, but it was the idea that music was somehow important to war. You know, it was for sure. We were still getting over that like weird, like, I mean, the beginning of World War One, like the French still had like crazy ass blue uniforms and stuff like that. They weren't doing camo. They weren't wearing helmets. Like it was just like war was World War One is crazy because you have the you have the combination of mechanization of warfare and like still like the old guard or so there's still people on horses and stuff like that. Yeah. Totally crazy, but yeah, no, he was st- he was basically in charge of music. So I mean, did he enlist? Kind of, but not really. Interesting. Yeah, I know we we sent some pretty famous outfits to fight and to play. Uh, there's a composer from Harlem, James. Reese Europe, I know, uh, led the Harlem Hellfighters. Uh, it was this really famous outfit that went and played and uh, also uh, fought. Um, so, yeah, World War One. Did we did we figure out the years there? I just want to get that right. I, I I wouldn't feel right about it if we got the. I, I, yeah, you. I thought you were looking it up. I'm trying to look it up on my phone. It's it's harder to do for me. No sweat. Keep cruising. Yeah, my my answer was the female chorus at the end of Neptune. It comes on, and I probably listened to Neptune. 14 to, 9, 14 to 18. 14 to 18, okay. Uh, and then, yeah, I'll look up when we joined in a second. But, yeah, basically, at the very end of the album, uh, Neptune is the last movement, you have this female chorus creep into the song, and it doesn't even sound like a chorus and I read that when they premiered it they had the chorus hidden and it freaked people out like the the sound that it creates is is alien it is not of this mm-hmm. world and uh, even now I I feel like it would be such a great background for a lot of the sci-fi that we watch and I'm sure uh, at some points if it had kind if of it is directly yeah it was at least uh, influencing yep. some of the scores to uh, a lot of the sci-fi that we like so yeah that was my the most interesting one to me obviously the only vocals that appear on the whole uh uh, composition and just the way it sneaks in it's it's kind of creepy it's it's kind of ascendant it's it's pretty cool pretty cool It, it, it was like the song to me that felt uh, the most contemporary. It felt like proto Radiohead or something like that. I don't know. That's really interesting that you. I. I. I that's not the song that I, I. I. It's. It's definitely very well respected as part of the. There's usually there's the three the three songs that are taken up that are, uh, Mars, Jupiter, and, um, is it your wait? What is it? Sorry. Neptune, the last one. Neptune. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, those are the three that are generally sing- singled out as the three standouts of the the whole piece. Uh, Jupiter being Jupiter being um, just generally wildly wild widely considered to be uh, one of the best 20th century pieces ever. Like it's probably the best 20th yeah, that- century. Uh, piece that's what my research kind of concluded i i would say that i i found more mars uh connections than yeah. other ones but it was always mars jupiter and neptune seemed to be the ones that 
these composers were taking, and if not directly copying, at least yep. using it as a template Zimmer. Uh, to create. <laughs> Hans Zimmer. Hans Zimmer. Oh my God, I can't, I can't wait to talk about that. Um, so, all right, number three, what's your favorite song on this album? It sounds like it's Jupiter. Did you, did you yeah, have anything it's Jupiter else? Mars. Jupiter Mars is the two for me. Uh, I, I enjoy you know the other pieces but Ju- i mean jupiter is just it's number one for me mars is as a like a sentimental attachment yeah but it's 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 jupiter by a country mile it's i i'm i was i mean i was so my girlfriend has very nice uh beat studio headphones which i've never used before she let me use them when i was listening nice. to music earlier researching uh, and, uh, I listened to it, like, I, I watched a, uh, a live performance of it, not, not live, but I watched a, a whole orchestral performance of it. And yeah, no, I was crying as yeah. I generally do, uh, when it hits, uh, what the hell is it called? It's called something, uh, hold on. There's a piece, there's a part of it. It's called Thaxted. It's the piece that basically, like, it's the the guitar solo, basically, of the song. It's when it hits the, uh, it hits, everything comes together. Um, yeah. Is it and, that uh, kind of triumphant melody? That... Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay. Oh, that's a great emulation there. My goodness. <laughs> Nailed it. <laughs> <laughs> Got some. I may have listened to it like fourteen times before this, but yeah, um, yeah. Uh, so that is like I can't. I mean, when it when that hits and there's like a real. This also kind of goes back into the favorite instrument thing, but it's mm-hmm. uh, watching a symphony do it, and when it's like there's seventy fucking people doing this exactly perfectly and every single person is dependent on everyone else and everybody's doing it perfectly that shit is it's beautiful in a in a different way like as far as somebody who loves music like having like that is fucking crazy that you can get that many people to do that it's like the olympics you know all of those people competing to be the first chair, second chair, whatever, they spent their whole lives just trying to be able to play certain pieces of music and do this. And like, that's the best cellist like in the world. That's, that's that really shit. beautiful. I mean, we, you know, as far as popular music goes, I don't think this is generally revered as something that's cool to listen to, but if you really, if you really, at some point, if you if you're on a continuum of enjoying music and you go forward on it and you put time into it, you're going to end up in places like this. Right. Yep. You're going to end up at jazz. You're going to end up in these where where the best musicians and, and the brightest musical talent we have gets funneled into these these orchestras and these uh, compositions that are impossibly hard to to generate and create you know and uh not to say that uh guitar vocal bass drum you know uh, you can't create beautiful things with that too um but there's there's definitely an aversion to listening to this type of music because it's not cool but if you're just being honest with yourself uh 
there's there's so much here. There's so much fruit, and uh, this is you know this composition specifically is is like just a beautiful beautiful piece of music that as we'll get into very soon is <laughs> influenced if not you know more than any other uh piece of music has influenced as much as any other piece of music probably in the, in the last century ever so yeah, yeah uh excited um, to get so into that one more th- I'll, I'll i can do what we can kill the last question because it's we don't know albums for this person so i'm just gonna kill the last question which is is this artist's best album yeah. fuck i i don't know i've listened to a little bit of it mm, yeah it is 100 percent uh and then interesting production the only thing i have to say about that and then we can get into the influence because i think that's among the more interesting stuff that we can talk about sure the only interesting thing is that it was it was made for piano okay like two pianos and that's what it that's what it that's how he wrote it and it's fucking pure piano and i they just released uh somebody just released a full piano version of the album of the whole suite um damn it sucks a whole giant bag of dicks <laughs> It's, it's it, can't, it it couldn't be as good. It just yeah. yeah, it just is. It's it's not it's just not that it, they they did a wonderful job of you know doing what they can do, but it just doesn't. It's after hearing the giantness of that album, it just you can't even comprehend. I I I didn't know it even existed until I stumbled upon it, and I was like, okay, let's listen. To it. And I was just like, oh god, this is so boring. <laughs> Yeah, it just doesn't hold a candle to the just the grandi- grandiosity of of the actual piece. That's the whole thing, is that it's so yeah. grandiose. Like if you're ta- if it's the uni- it's the, the solar system. You can't have that on pianos. You need all you need an orchestra to to showcase the solar system. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's true. I I think I I skipped my answer on the last one, but I I'm chalk again. On What's that. your think- favorite? Yeah. I think it's Neptune. I, I um, yeah. It's either that or Jupiter or Mars. I enjoy Saturn as well, but it's, it's all, I think those really all, stand out. It's yeah, all Neptune. It, I I mentioned Radiohead, and that's certainly true. But maybe I'm skipping over like a maybe some instrumental ambient artists. Brian Eno comes to mind. I think there's Boards of Canada. <laughs> yeah, there's there's a lot of. Uh, yeah, there's just a lot of uh, stuff going on in between the notes. There's just a lot of ambient sound in that track. And I think it's just, again, it sounds way ahead of its time. It, it really feels uh, like something of the like Prague 70s or 80s or something. But um, sure. yeah. Well, so, that's, but that's what Prague in the 70s were trying to do was trying to be mm. kind of atmospheric and like celestial, I believe. You know, you know what I mean? Like, oh, I, that's. Yeah. That's what I've always gotten from Rush and Yes and all those. They were always kind of trying to be, uh, you know, uh, yeah, like planet, like interplanetary. That's kind of where I always Prague has always been a, um, I don't know. Does that make sense? Like an astronaut, like they're they're like astronauts. They're out there. They're fucking doing drugs and exploring the world. 
exploring, exploring. That's the word. Yeah, absolutely exploring the space in between what's what's already been done. Yeah. So uh, I guess we're basically into the insights here, and and I've got a pretty long right, yeah. list. Yeah, I've got um, some stuff too. So yeah, you go first. Can I lead with one thing? And I'm sure it'll just check one off of your list. I bet you probably got me beat on the research on this. Yeah, no, go. Okay. So I remember this vividly and I never made the connection until like research. Fucking Braveheart. Yeah, for sure. You've got that on there, I'm sure. It's one of the movies I have uh, with a bullet point. Yeah. The the Braveheart, the, the love theme between uh the the main characters is almost note for note the the thing i was talking about thaxon thax did it's the the jupiter melody yes it's it's note for note almost uh they're totally biting it's and it's never occurred to me until somebody pointed out and I listened to it and I was like, holy shit. It's not, that's not even close. Like they had to pay the estate basically. Yeah. Uh, Shrek is very similar. Shrek? Wait, Shrek. The, the original Shrek score, there's a there's a melody that, that basically mimics Jupiter. And I tried to listen to as many of these as I could and the Shrek one is really similar. <laughs> yeah, really, really the, the, similar. The the did, did did you feel the same way about the Braveheart one? Yeah, for sure. Yeah, yeah that one. The the Braveheart one is crazy. It works so well in Braveheart. It's too. so good. <laughs> yeah, no, it made me cry at the time. Uh, yeah, yeah, it makes sense. That's why I'm saying. Yeah. Um, so, so what else? You got? Um, yeah, I've got a long list here. Uh, jump in at any point. So originally he had Mercury number one, which suggested a natural order that he was going to do the planets in order, yeah. uh, which he end up, ended up uh, not doing. They, they go Mars, Venus, Mercury, Jupiter, Saturn, Uranus, uh, Neptune. So um, uh, just for posterity, Mars was the first one he worked on in mid-1914. Well, can I, wait, hold on, I'll jump in. I'll jump in yeah. real quick before that. Um, so he, this is not astrological or astronomical it's astrological he got obsessed with astrology okay and so all of this is based on like his interest in astrology and so that's where all of these things it's not necessarily the astronomy of any of this it's as the astrology of it which i'm not a big fan of astrology but that is where it is not about the where the planets are but about the human implications for the, the alignment of the planets. Oh, baby, what an insight. I, I, I did not know that. That's beautiful. Yeah. So that's why the alignment, the, the stuff is it's not necessarily in astronomical order. It's in a little bit more astrological and changing. And, and that's why it's all emotionally tied. And, and that's why each thing has emotions and stuff like that tied to it is because it's a lot more astrological than it is astronomical. Even Ladies more and gentlemen, so than, this is why we bring him on the first repeat, repeat guest. He's bringing the heat today. <laughs> uh, cheers. All right, keep going, Dan. Sorry. <laughs> Cheers. Uh, all right, so Mars is the first one he worked on mid-1914. Venus and Jupiter he worked on later in 1914. 
uh, Neptune, Saturn, and Uranus, 1915, and then Mercury, early 1916 was the last one. Uh, so this this piece of music, this composition, has been recorded over 80 different times, as short as 43 minutes and as long as 51. On four different occasions, there was a Pluto suite added. Uh, I don't have those listed, but I did listen to a rock interpretation of this. Ooh, uh, who did it? Uh, Rick Wakeman, who I don't know that much about, uh, but it's pretty awesome. It's I as you'd like expect. Wakeman, I feel like he's like a prog artist. I feel it, mm. my brain is immediately associating with him, him with the being maybe in a in a prog band. That makes so. sense. That they did this in uh, 1984. Yeah, it um, sounds about right. Yeah. So uh, from there. Uh, I li- I watched part of a interpretation or I guess a reinterpretation of Star Wars A New Hope with uh, the planets in its entirety as the soundtrack. What? <laughs> yeah, there's a Vimeo user, and I've got his name here, Stephen Carraher, used the planets for an alternate cut of New Hope. And I watched different scenes and it, as you'd expect, works perfectly. <laughs> like, is it cool? Is it cool? I don't want to see that. I want to see that. Yeah. I not see that. Awesome. I didn't watch the whole thing, but it totally works. No. And of course it does. Um, I mean, I can jump to one that I have later, but it works right now. But that's what just are you the... so excited about? Because you tell me one that you were like, oh, I can't wait to drop this bomb on you. I'll get there, baby. We are, we are not too far away. But <laughs> on the Star Wars point, John Williams used Mars as inspiration for the Imperial March, which surprises sure. no one. No. When you no, hear the sounds... first movement, the first <laughs> number of this, it, that's the first thing that your mind goes to if you've ever watched Star Wars, and especially if you're a Star Wars fan like I am, uh, which was kind of a weird thing for you because the Imperial March, to me, just like knowing that it was actually composed is kind of sad to me. Like thinking about the fact that it was someone, and John Williams, of course, sat down and had to like put this together. I figured that the Imperial March just kind of like, you know, came out of the ethos. Yeah, it just like was found. It fe- it was yeah. found in like a glacial esker, and and was just like <laughs> brought and <laughs> became popular. So yeah, it was on uh, off, and they had to yeah. like they like chiseled away, and it just started playing. Yeah, like Encino Man, he's just like chip away, and he comes to life. Uh, but yeah, so there's just so many different movies that have used. Uh, this music, uh, whether it was uh, in the score uh, or it was an interpretation of this music. So uh, as just like part of the soundtrack, Capitalism, A Love Story, the Michael Moore, it's in How I Met Your Mother, Fatal Attraction. Uh, In the 1987 Zeppelin doc, they use, uh, I believe, Mars. 1983, The Right Stuff, which is a multi-part documentary, I believe, about the Apollo missions. It's mm-hmm. it's a it's a self-scored soundtrack. However, uh, they on many message boards, I was like, they note for note take off yep. uh, from Holst uh, throughout the soundtrack. And I actually didn't listen to that one, but it sounds like it was oh, it's, uh, definitely it's something all... they did. 
Um, so part of the 1990 Black Sabbath uh, tour, they use parts of Mars uh, during drum solos. It's also been seen in Mr. Robot, Bojack Horseman, The Simpsons. And all right, I'm finally, I've finally arrived at the insight that I just could not wait to tell you about. Okay. In 2014, Bell's Brewery released a Planets series inspired what? by Hulse the Planets. Shut the fuck I'm just going to leave that there. I'm just going to leave that there. So uh, Julian and I met in Kalamazoo, Michigan, where Bell's Brewery is bottled in Comstock, as we know, but the actual brewery's in uh, Kalamazoo. And Julian, I had to look on many different websites, but I, of course, found out which type of beers aligned with... uh, (laughs) <laughs> which different planets in the series. So you have, you have uh, to give me a second. Hold on a second. I'm fanning myself like a person at a Baptist revival. Hold on a second. <laughs> I couldn't even believe this when I read it. I, it said it was like Bell's Bell's Brewery. Like, whoa, unbelievable. Please so tell me which I'm, this is amazing. And I have, so, I have a thing for you after this, which is cool. So Mars was a double IPA. Yeah, of course. You had to fuck them up with a double IPA, for sure. (laughs) Venus is a blonde ale with honey, cardamom, apricot juice, and vanilla. Oh, my God. Mercury was a Belgian-style ale. Uh, Perfect. Perfect. Jupiter, a brown ale. Oh, okay. Well. Is that disappointing for you? (laughs) Yeah, I don't like that. Saturn. I don't like that at all. It should have been the centerpiece of the whole thing. It's fine. Keep going. Saturn was a bourbon barrel-aged barley wine. Okay. Yeah. Uranus was black double IPA, and then Neptune, an imperial stout. Oh, my God. If I'd have been living in Kalamazoo, I would have fucking... Oh, my God. I would have gone Can to you that. even I believe that? that place. No, it's incredible. That's that just unbelievable. Serendipitous. The, the connections, man. The connections. Unbelievable. All right. So this one, this one is also pretty wild and multifactorial. So on the teaser that we did for this podcast, you said that Mars sounded like a metal sound. Sounded yep. like metal. So the main riff from the song Black Sabbath the album Black Sabbath, 1970, and uh, Children of the Grave, a song on Master of Reality, 1971, uh, all this by the band Black Sabbath, uh, uh, is loosely based on Mars. And so the main riff, the first riff uh, from, from that Black Sabbath record is based on Mars. And if we go back an episode... We go back a Music Friends episode. I was talking to my friend Luke Rewa, who is a big metal guy, a big prog guy. I asked him the impossible question of if the aliens land, what are the 20 songs that we give them on a CDR and say, hey, these are our best. This is everything Jesus that we've got. Christ. Luke said, Luke said, and it was a very thoughtful answer. He said, I will go with Black Sabbath by Black Sabbath because that single riff started metal. What did so, I say? 
if what we're I talking, say, what I say, <laughs> if we're talking about the root of that whole genre, we're actually talking about Gustav Holst, the planets. We're talking about Mars. So that is just a totally wild, multifactorial I mean, I, connection I've never there. Felt, I've never felt better about <laughs> more validated. Now. I've never. Yeah, it's it's pretty good. There's literally <laughs> flowers blooming outside of my window right now, and I've never felt better. Julian's um, floating, levitating. I am too, truly. He he's seeing my face, and I'm doing champion <laughs> fucking arms. Also, oh, isn't that uh, just fucking wild, dude? And I again, I listen to these and the Black Sabbath riff. Go listen to it, man. I'm I'm telling you right now, it's not exactly uh, note for note, no, but the, the cadence. The cadence and like how it transitions, it is it is so it's clearly metal. based on it. It's yeah. Mars. I, it's metal. It's the first metal song. I yeah. believe that wholeheartedly. Is Mars Ringer War is a fucking metal song. Nailed it. It's so totally Trans Siberian Orchestra. Fucking like, brah. it's so good. Oh, that makes. Um, also, Hans Zimmer got. Let's go to sued. Zimmer. Let's go to Zimmer. All right, go for it. Tell him. No, tell you got him, it. You folks. give it to me. Give it to Hans me. Hans Zimmer got sued for the 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 battle theme from the opening Gladiator because it borrows a shitload from Mars: The Bringer of War. And I didn't even know that when I we talked about that. I think I made a mention of it even in the uh, the preamble when we talked last. Is that? It's in there, and I didn't know that it was a contested issue. I just assumed it was common knowledge that he bought, that he was biting off of that, and nope, he, he got sued. Yeah, yeah, uh, you nailed it. Um, basically, and get this, in the liner notes of the Gladiator soundtrack, Zimmer acknowledges Holst's influence and admits to using, quote, the same language, the same vocabulary, if not the same syntax <laughs> on the tracks Barbarian Horde and The Battle. Yeah. So the uh, planets fell out of copyright in 2004, um, but they sued but in 2006. Right. Gladiator so, 2000, right? So it would have right. been before the... Exactly. It was composed and published before falling out of copyright. And... Um, the the matter they was resolved. Settled. The they matter was resolved privately, according to terms yeah. not made public. Uh, but so, it is note for note. I listened to both of those songs, and it is note. Yeah, for you're like, note. okay, shut the fuck up, dude. You definitely bit it. It's fine. The whole thing is not. There are there's a couple of sections where it's like you're definitely biting Mars. The yeah. re- it's a ten minute piece. It's not entirely. Mars Rigor Vore by any stretch of the imagination. But there's like a couple of little things where you're like, that is fucking exactly it. Mars Ringer of War, dude. Calm down. You definitely didn't come up with that. Yeah. Yeah. It's fine. <laughs> which is fine. That that's what I mean, that's what all of this is. This whole album is incredibly uh just um it was ahead of its time. And that's, I mean, that's, that's what I always go back to when I listen to this album is that it's, it's, it was, and obviously is ahead of its time because it's been used since, um, so many times because yeah, that, it's still that, 
it's still effective. Yeah, that part of it I did not expect to see whatsoever. There was it was clearly like when I when you brought it to my attention and you and you chose it, I was kind of looking at the tip of the iceberg. And frankly, that was going to be enough. This is an album that I would have come back to anyway, just based on its sonic merit and mm-hmm. how much I enjoyed it. But the fact I just I started reading some stuff and then I just couldn't stop reading stuff. I think the last real big note I have here. Yeah, is um, King Crimson, one of the godfathers of prog rock. Mm-hmm. I, I think I'm in my rights to say. 100%. On the On the song The Devil's Triangle from their 1970 album In the Wake of Poseidon, uh, the song was adapted from Mars. And uh, they it was, it was kind of easy to derive that they had, taking it from Mars as they had been playing Mars live at shows uh, throughout, <laughs> throughout 1969. And it's, and I listened to that one too. It's, it's definitely, definitely a takeoff. So there you have it, man. I mean, just an incredibly, incredibly influential piece of music and another testament to the fact that as you, as you just kind of start to care about art and music and stuff, you start to see that, Good artists copy and great artists steal. Uh, you know, yeah. like like Picasso, it's just right. That's exactly right. It's just it's just kind of what happens. Uh, everyone's taking from their influences, uh, sometimes more directly and without subtlety than other times, and uh, we see a little bit of both, I guess, in this case. So, yeah, man, um, just amazing. Uh, I guess we were going to skip. Uh, is the is this the artist's best album? I think in, yeah, I mean, without yeah. I listened question. to a couple of other stuff. It's not nearly as good. It's not quite as good. It's it's not quite as no, edgy. It's, fine. And, uh, <laughs> it's just not it's just not what you know. Um not my not my bag necessarily. Yeah, no, I, I think uh pretty clearly we can say that this is his best work. Uh now with the the custom question um, I've got a couple, I've got a couple small nugget questions for you. What's first is what's another piece of classical music that gets you going. And then, uh, if you could be one of the movements from this composition, which movement are you? Uh, that's a good question. Um, so I would say, um, I think what, Trent Reznor and Atticus Ross are doing right now with scores. Um, they're incredible. Um, I don't, the social network, um, and they've done a, they've done a, quite a few things recently um, that are just in, just really cool, but entirely different. Um, that's awesome. Um, I. I don't really listen to a lot of classical music, if I'm being honest. I mean, Beethoven, there's a lot. Um, uh, Yo-Yo Ma, I, lo- I love cello. We talked mm. about this a little bit earlier, but I love the stringed instruments. So Yo-Yo Ma has a few things that are just uh, incredible to listen to, but it's a lot of interpretations of other people. Um, but there's nothing exactly that I would say in the classical genre that I ultimately, like, I should explore more of the symphonic stuff that, you know we're talking about uh but i i haven't done enough uh research into it 
Uh, yeah, uh, I'm with you on that. I, I couldn't even really, you know, recommend another piece of classical music if, if facing this same question. And then the second question is just which movement uh, are you, if you had it's, to pick? It, yeah, I know. I mean, I, I would really, really love to be the, the piece in Jupiter. Uh, yeah. The Texas. Texas. Like, I, yeah. I, I would love to be that. Uh, I would love to make anybody feel that way ever. I'm not sure that, but it's, it's also, yeah, Fuck. I can't even explain how beautiful I find that piece. It, I, I listen to it like five times a day. Three of the times I like got like welled up. Um, it's amazing. It hits very hard for me for whatever reason, specifically that. But, well, uh, I think you yeah. touched on most of the reasons. It's something obviously connected to your childhood. And yeah, I, I can see my error in this question now because as we've we've spoken about, these are all kind of different droplets of human emotion uh, combining together yep. to maybe put together the full portrait of what it means to be human. And to pick just one probably isn't totally fair. Uh, but if I was going to pick one based on you know, what I, how I kind of view myself, uh, I might just end up in the same place you did, even though we, we kind That's of, okay. uh, kept picking the same songs. I'd probably say Neptune, just like the, the questioning, the uncertainty, the, uh, wondering what's, what's beyond, uh, it, it kind of is a, is a nice soundtrack to all these things that, uh, I ask of myself and of the world, uh, as we, as we go on. So, and the ear- eeriness of it. The, uh, very, the, very the, quest, the mysterious, ethereal nature of everything. All right, we're going to move into the next album here. Julian, uh, do you have the fundamentals here for the Wu-Tang record? Yeah, so we're going to do, we're doing Enter the Wu-Tang, 36 Chambers, by the artist Wu-Tang Clan, obviously. Uh, it's the debut album of seven studio albums that I could find. I believe seven is the right number, Danny. That's what I got. That's what I got. Okay, cool. Uh, the album was produced by the RZA, uh, real name Robert Fitzgerald Diggs. Not as cool, well but that's why he uh, switched it up. It was released on November 9th, 1993. And I just wanted to start it off with the end of its The Source Review. Uh, four and a half mics in 1993. Uh, quote, this record is harsh, but so is the world that we live in. For B-boys and girls who come from the core of the hard, this is the hip-hop album you've been waiting for. Simply put, Wu-Tang Clan ain't nothing to fuck with. Oh, that's fucking awesome. Good for good for the source nailing it on site. You know, like yep. so many so many publications miss the mark on mm-hmm. landmark albums, and then they have to scurry back and be like, no, 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 we uh, actually thought it was great. <laughs> oh, it was amazing. We just said, well, no, 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 no. The real review got taken down. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, I had to, like, it was cool because it was, a like, a, I had to use a Wayback machine, so it, it actually had, like, a picture of the review. Like, it wasn't nice. even in text form. It was just, like, a picture of the review. It was very interesting. And oh, a lot, look like, at you. The fact that they use B-Boys is, like, it's that's some <laughs> 1990s shit right there but it is you know i mean it's the time all right danny uh so uh how does this album make you feel man all right i you know it's it's the one i chose but i i'm almost more excited to hear uh your response to this but the uh album makes me feel hype this is uh a 
in your face, brash album that uh, is upbeat and is the perfect soundtrack to uh, activity that is uh, not not low key. So it definitely makes me feel hype. Uh, the next thing that came on and I started into it in the teaser is it made me feel curious because I don't know that much about the Wu-Tang Clan. And I could, I, I've listened to this album a couple times before we did this. I'd listened to Wu Tang Forever, I think, once, but I didn't. I didn't quite understand it, and my my like musical curiosity thing, which which frankly is is a big part of why we're here and like why I wanted mm-hmm. to do this, is like I'm not good enough with just listening to the music. I, I want to know more. I want to know. In this instance, what is the Wu Tang Clan? Who is involved with it? What's sure. with the logo? What's the philosophy behind it? And it was really delightful going through it and figuring out some of these details. Uh, so it made me feel curious. I was Charlie Kelly trying to track down Pepe Sylvia, mm-hmm. connecting all the yarn uh, for sure. Style. Yeah, for sure. So uh, like I did with the previous podcast uh, with the Beatles, and I, I use kind of one piece of media to really um, initiate my understanding of, of this sure. single piece of, of art. Uh, I picked up this book called the Wu-Tang manual. Uh, it's written mm-hmm. by the RZA and, uh, it is a, just an introduction and I, I'm not going to, I'm not going to read a ton from it, but yeah. the, it's a beautiful book. And I, I think about books a lot every once in a while I, I write a book. Uh-huh. Um, and it's just a really beautifully illustrated and creative book. The first page, like, really locked me in, and that's what I'm going to read now, is the book you hold in your hands is not a complete biography or a total philosophy of the Wu-Tang Clan. Instead, it represents an introduction to some of the basic principles of Wu-Tang thought and artistry, a glimpse into some of the ideas and life events that shaped the clan. Considered it an accompaniment to the album Enter the Wu-Tang, 36 Chambers, Every important aspect of the foundation is touched on here, including spirituality, kung fu, chess, and so forth. But to the true student, this is only a doorway to a fuller understanding. Sample the knowledge, wisdom, and understanding by dropping into separate tracks or read the book straight through. This is a path, not the destination. For those who seek, the 36th chamber still awaits. Let the saga begin. The Rizzo, yeah. December 2004. So uh, that is an important point here is that this book was written almost 20 years ago. Holy shit. Wow. So uh, I, I believe a lot of this stands true uh, with yeah. his philosophy on music and life and stuff like that. But uh, for anything that has changed and he has changed publicly, I, I apologize. But um, basically what this led me to, to get to was I created my own nine factors that I thought <laughs> Uh, <laughs> really, <laughs> when combined, uh, resulted in uh, Wu-Tang Clan. And uh, the first one uh, we'll start off with is numerology. I don't know mm-hmm. if, if you knew this about them, but it's a, it's a big thing uh, with RZA. Uh, RZA and Jizza are, are cousins, and Jizza yep. got RZA onto the Nation of Gods and Earth, the 5% mm-hmm. nation uh, who practice supreme mathematics, pretty early on. Are, are you familiar with that group at all? I mean, uh, uh, no, no. Uh, I mean, the, the, that numerology somewhat, but like, I mean, I knew that the 36 chambers, like the 36, uh, they're all, it's something about nine and then there's four main members or they all have four uh, something. So that's where it's nine times four, something to that effect, right? 
you're you're on the right thread. Like there's just there's a lot of crazy shit about the numbers yeah. that he uses to form the group and stuff like that. But I'm start I'm starting from the roots, so so bear with me. But this group essentially is a spinoff of the Nation of Islam, uh, sure. which you're probably familiar oh, with. Good. Um, you know, uh, Elijah Muhammad. Uh, the the group that Malcolm X famously was part of and then broke from and uh, you know Muhammad Ali Farrakhan uh, but, is Farrakhan in the so he was for sure the leader I'm not sure if he still is or if he's yeah. still alive I'm not sure about that so, me neither but but you're on the right track yeah for sure so this is a, a kind of to my knowledge a spinoff group I know that in 1963 a member of the Nation of Islam left and and started this but anyway okay. let me let me keep moving yeah. here keep going. Um, Basically, they believe that 5% of the people of the earth live righteously, 85% are deaf, dumb, and blind, and 10% are devils that have the knowledge but keep the rest ignorant. So <laughs> it's not entirely wrong. That's not. It really isn't. Um, so I mean, uh, this uh, crazy ideologies. That's not like, way out there. It's about yeah. seems pretty accurate. Very true. So what's funny is this is like the first part of the book. So I'm I'm in I'm getting into the book and I'm like, oh man, where are we what, going what, here? Yeah. <laughs> the roller coaster is starting off high. Okay. Yes, exactly. Click, 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 click. Yeah. So the group has nine basic tenets. I won't read all of them, but just a few to give it an idea. Mm-hmm. Uh, number one, that black people are the original people of the earth. Two, that black people are the fathers and mothers of civilization. Three, that mm-hmm. the science of supreme mathematics is the key to understanding man's relationship to the universe. Number four, that Islam is a natural way of life. Um, the quote that stuck with me here from Riza is, young followers of the supreme mathematics, the five percenters, became known for their verbal dexterity, developed by drilling uh-huh. and quizzing each other on the street. So um, the actual numbers... And I'll run them down. They start getting a little weird around seven. So uh, one is for knowledge, two, wisdom, three, understanding, four, culture, five, power, six, equality, seven is God and perfection. And you hear them use uh, the word God throughout all of their music. And that Mm -hmm. uh, often relates to seven. Um, And so there'll be like the God hour is actually like around seven o'clock, stuff like that. So, (laughs) So this is where it gets a little weird, but... G is the seventh letter of the alphabet. Uh, God sees the seven colors of the rainbow and hears the seven notes of the musical scale. So it gets even better. Uh, Eight, build. Uh, Even the word God, G-O-D, added up equals eight. And I didn't quite understand this because... Oh, my God. So G is the seventh seventh, uh, letter of the alphabet. Seventh letter of the alphabet, yeah. Uh, o is the 15th and D is the 4th. So you put those together, I don't quite – it gets to 28. So I think that's what they mean when those ad- added, it gets to 28. So I think that's what they mean there. Uh, and so 9 is born, and 9 is the only number multiplied by itself ends up with the same result. 9 times 9 equals 81. 8 plus 1 equals 9. So oh <laughs> so, so this was the first part of the book I read, and I was like, You're making oh, me man. not like this album already now a little bit. <laughs> I promise it'll make more sense as we continue I, to go along. I doubt it, but, but we'll, go, we'll go through it. <laughs> All right, so there's also an alphabet, but I'm not going to get into that. So number one uh, factor to the uh, enter 
uh, Enter the Wu-Tang is numerology. Uh, This album makes me feel hype. It makes me feel curious. And we're just getting to the tip of the iceberg about, um, you know, decoding some of the factors that led to this album's uh, genesis. So uh, I'll flip it back to you finally. Uh, Julian, how does this album make you feel? Uh, first of all, do they, like, I'm, I'm guessing, I'm assuming we're going to get that, but it's like sacred geometry a part of this. Is that like another level of numerology? That, that did not come up, uh, I believe in the book that, that seems related. I can Google that up if you want to oh, you're fine. Uh, keep uh, rolling. So, uh, it, so does album, there's something of a nostalgia to it, but it's an interesting nostalgia. It's a nostalgia for something I missed. Ooh, uh, this, yeah. this wasn't. Uh, Wu-Tang was not a part of my hip-hop um, upbringing. Um, yeah. I, I mean, I have a lot of stuff, especially in this era, we can kind of, well, I mean, it's interesting. This album was released uh, on the same day as Midnight Marauders by uh, Tribe Called Quest. Uh, nice. And it's kind of a, a road diverged for me, I guess. I mean, obviously, I was four at the time. It's not like I picked one album up, not the other one at the record store or whatever, but I have always leaned closer towards Tribe Called Quest, stuff like that, uh, as far as my hip-hop growth. So that's where, as far as a group element, I've always leaned closer towards uh, Tribe and De La Soul and stuff like that. Um, uh, But it's really, I mean, obviously I know the songs. I knew almost every single one of the songs um, from just just generally listening to hip-hop a lot. Um, so I wasn't really surprised by anything in the album as far as like, oh yeah, I've never heard this song. Almost every single song I had heard multiple times. Uh, Did that lower the ceiling of your ability ability to enjoy it? Like the fact that it wasn't kind of fresh and new. And it, it wasn't. It, it, I I I have to say I, I I don't love this album. I yeah. I enjoy it. I enjoy it. I think it's good. Uh, but I think it's just. One of those things where a lot of stuff like this, uh, especially like classics or whatever, um, especially in a genre that you're familiar with, if you didn't kind of come up with them, it can hard, it can be hard to go back and create yeah, that, there you go. that pathway for you. Um, so I think I appreciate it. Um, and I think it's it's great. It, ha- it has greatness and it's a fantastic album. Uh, as far as like, Am I going to be like, oh, I got to listen to 36 Chambers anytime soon? Probably. I think I'm probably going to take a break for a while. I did do a nice little, you know, quite a few listens. Um, But yeah, it doesn't, they're all very talented. Um, I think at times for me, it can get a little bit much with the so many group members. Yeah. Um, I feel like sometimes the, uh, the message can get lost with that much that many people putting in input uh, that being said i think it's a fantastic album i think you know it it's i don't know, yeah it's one of the best hip-hop albums of all time and i'm not going to argue that but uh as far as me enjoying it eh, it's per- it's very good i feel you on that it's um it's obviously very brash it's it's tough to get into i think it's interesting that underneath kind of that that um, exterior with spikes and and weapons and whatever. There's a lot of really good wordplay going on. Absolutely, and I, and I think that there it it's it's not advantageous to them that the music is like so 
brash in that way. That might not be the perfect way to put it, but basically, yeah. I, I I do I do uh, really appreciate their wordplay and their slang use. And I think Absolutely. like it really wasn't until I looked at a couple of the lyrics of of a few of the songs, I was like, oh my god, there's some there's some real poetry Density. going on. And that, yeah. that gets that gets thrown around a lot, poetry. But when, when you really break it down, what the the number of things that they'll say in single lines is really impressive. Yeah. Well, and they're um, using a lot of internal rhyme and stuff like that. Like there is definitely actual real po- poet. I mean, that was one of the things I studied pretty extensively in college was, was poetry. And like, there is a lot of internal rhyme and creative, like slant rhyme and stuff like that. Like they are actually doing poetic shit. I mean, that's what hip hop is. I mean, yes. ultimately um, in its, in its higher forms, and Wu Tang definitely would be in that class it is poetry. I mean, it's the poetry of the streets or whatever you want to call it, but it's, you know, it's not, you know, thou doth blah, 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 but you know, it's not fucking hoity toity, but it's still, you know, it's poetry. It's using uh, the least amount of words to convey the most amount of meaning, stuff like that. It's important. Word. It's- um yeah all right danny uh so to you uh what's the most interesting uh instrument on the album again this is kind of an interesting one with with hip-hop it's usually a little bit more difficult um similarly with the you know I mean, it's a little bit different whereas the maximalism of the the planets uh you have the minimalism of the production on on wu-tang so there's only a couple choices uh on uh, the Wu. With all of the extra writing I did for this one and and preparation, I I it seems like I would have generally gone the symbolic route, which I I tend to go with music friends. But I actually went literal here, and the RZA made a point to run down a lot of the technology that he used mm-hmm. leading up to the pr- the processing of this album and uh, what he used actually on the album. So the Insonic EPS was the sampler. Uh, Mm-hmm. Um, keyboard that he used, and uh, that opens into the number two factor for Enter the Wu Tang uh, Thirty Six Chambers as technology, technology mm-hmm. being number two. So the Insonic Sixteen Plus plus the emulator SP Twelve Hundred drum machine mm-hmm. uh, is a, is a lot of what you hear here, and mm-hmm. um, I thought it was interesting. He tried to get into some of the specifics of what he was doing, the processes he was using then, which as with any musical genre, the technology is continually changing and evolving. And even that 10 years later when he wrote this book, it was it was well past that. But he was talking sure. about how he lo- was lowering the sample rate and increasing the sample time uh, to be able to make longer, basically measures um, and that they could wrap behind, which was a, a huge bonus that this piece of technology afforded him so years later he says uh, i heard people call it lo-fi but i just thought it sounded more ghetto and it let me use more sounds and that's that's the thing i I feel like lo-fi is a word that you you read in just about every review of this yeah for sure uh, yeah so the other one i have is the number three factor and that is kung fu flicks (laughs) yeah Kung Fu flicks are absolutely huge to Wu Tang. Uh, yeah. Within this, you see a bunch of different films uh, sampled. Executioners of Shaolin, which uh, the movie itself involves a character called Pai Mei, who appears mm-hmm. in a lot of Kung Fu flicks, including uh, Kill Bill. 
That's exactly right. Uh, there's a character uh, in Kill Bill uh, called Pyme, and um, Riza and Quentin Tarantino struck a friendship when they were on a panel for the movie Iron Monkey. And yeah. Quentin Tarantino then had Riza do the musical arranging for Kill Bill. And nice. thusly, that is a killer soundtrack. It um, is very much so. Agreed. Absolutely killer soundtrack. There's a couple original Riza tracks on there um, that are that are really awesome. So I highly recommend that one. The, Definitely. Uh, 36 Chamber of Shaolin, Five Deadly Venoms, Ten Tigers of Kuratang, The Mystery of Chex Boxing, and then Shaoling and Wu-Tang, which is yeah. the opening sample, were all sampled throughout the album. Yeah. So a ton That's of different movies. That's where Wu-Tang movies. comes from, right? That movie is Shaolin and Wu-Tang is the name. That's exactly right. Uh, 1983? Yeah, yeah, good call, man. Um, the uh, Wu-Tang sword style within the films was deadliest like rizza likes to say that their tongues and lyricism were the mm-hmm. best so uh, a student of the wu-tang sword and this this gets into some more of the numerology but uh, a student of the wu-tang sword school would master higher levels of technique each level or chamber that he climbed he would near invincibility if he was able to enter the 36th chamber he was unstoppable to all but a fellow 36th chamber Wu-Tang swordsman. So break it down. You have the, this, these are Riz's words. So break it down. You have the 36 chambers and there's nine members of the Wu-Tang clan. Each member has four chambers of the heart. What's yep. nine times four? 36. Yep, there are 36 fatal points on the body times 10 degrees of separation between each point equals 360, 360. degrees. Oh my God. Therefore, the Wu-Tang clan is a perfect... Cipher. Her, oh my god. <laughs> uh, I really like Rizza, so but I actually really, really like Rizza. It's okay. I do too. Even this bullshit isn't gonna shake me. Did you happen to watch uh that that I sent you? I, I know you were doing some shit. I absolutely did watch it, yes. Okay, cool. I fucking love that. All right, we can talk about that later after we get through this, but that's uh, yeah, because I have a question that gets to that stuff. So. We'll get there. Yeah. Uh, the last thing I had before I flip it to you, and this is pretty yeah. well known, but the, um, you know, the Enter the Dragon plus the 36 Chambers of Shaolin, when combined, uh, uh, get you the name of the record itself. So yep. more Kung okay. Fu influence. So for you, uh, what's the most interesting instrument cool. here? Well, also, uh, just to kind of, this kind of has to do with it. Uh, but it was a uh, the the group that uh, the Rizla or the Rizla or Raekwon might be Raekwon grew yeah. up in. Uh, they were all really into kung fu movies, and they were like two w- warring factions. It was like the Shaolin and the Wu Tang, and like that's where Wu Tang comes from. Is they would refer to themselves as Wu Tang. Their weed was Wu Tang. Basically, everything cool or good was Wu Tang, um, and nice. that. Uh, it was about the area lived in Stapleton. Um, so that's kind of where also that comes from. Beautiful. Yeah. Um, so for me, I mean, I'm, uh, I really like, uh, yeah, the, it's keyboard licks, but the, the kind of spare piano-y kind of sounding stuff that's all throughout, yeah. especially, especially cream, obviously is just a, yes. Um, and then just the, the general subtlety of, of a lot of it um it's very aggressive 
but it's not always aggressive sonically. A lot of the aggression is coming through um, the members, and it's not necessarily musically. Like if you were to listen to this uh, without uh, like uh, like an instrumental, you wouldn't be like, "This is some fucking hardcore rap." A lot of it is like kind of. there's a I, I I there's a station listen to work. It's like kind of like instrumental stuff and whatever. But like there will be like three or four different songs, and they're just instrumental interpretations of of uh, Wu Tang songs. And it's like nice restaurant music. <laughs> um, <laughs> just it, just you know, if you play it with different instruments and stuff like that, it just kind of sounds you know peaceful and soothing. So uh, I like that. And I was just saying the subtlety of I just the overall subtlety of of the instrumentation of the album is probably my favorite part. There's not really a specific instrument, just the overall ethos of kind of being a little bit more subtle outside of uh, enter the chamber part two, where he is literally, uh, I think uh, Rizzo talked about trying specifically to out base uh, Uh. Dr. Dre. Oh, wow. Uh, it's yeah. If you listen to that, he is down low and it's loud. Uh, I was listening to some nice headphones and it's very bassy, but it, it kind of is weird in that whole album where everything else is kind of subtle. But then yeah, in uh, Enter the Woo Part Two, it's it's extremely uh, bassy and weird. So uh, that's another little interesting little point. The last thing I'll say before we move into favorite song there is. In my brief stint as a DJ, uh, mm-hmm. I would just DJ on Sundays at this bar I worked at, just kind of a sleepy – I'd mostly play sleepy indie music, whatever yeah. felt right. But uh, I I have several hip-hop, classic hip-hop albums that are just instrumentals, and I would play them pretty often. I, yeah. I, I found that they work pretty well. I remember – <laughs> But people didn't agree. Like I'd be playing uh, Dre 2001, some some instrumental tracks from that, and people were so mad that the words weren't there. <laughs> Fair. Uh, Fair. Yeah. <laughs> but Cream works. There's like – I mean like there's like jazz versions of Cream where it's like oh, this, nice. is, this is just lovely. Yeah. <laughs> like your grandma could probably be like, oh, this is nice. Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, all right, Danny. Uh, so what's your favorite song on the album? Uh, I basically have two. I, I would say that Tears, uh, where Riza speaks about losing his brother and Ghostface speaks about watching someone get HIV, uh, is one so of them. Do you, do you know that Riza didn't actually lose his brother? Uh, no, I didn't. Uh, yeah, he just got shot, but he didn't oh, okay. die. So oh, nice. it was okay. more of like an inter- important an extra- distinction. It was an extrapolation, you know. No, but he in the song he dies, but okay. he just took it a little bit further and wanted to talk about like the the fear he had and like the grief that he would have felt. Basically, is what's in the song. But his brother didn't actually die, I believe. Nice. Some more advanced storytelling techniques being used there. That's that's yeah. pretty cool. And then yeah, and then Ghostface talking about the HIV stuff especially in 1993 obviously really important i i found this interesting too because this is one of the ones that i really looked into the lyrics for and the tone sonically doesn't match the sadness of what's happening no, here at all, at all. <laughs> and doesn't, uh, you know does jizz sings the like hook uh, I'm not sure who does the hook. In yeah, fact, I, 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 I restricted myself from getting too far into the who's on this verse, this type of stuff. Yeah, I started going really down difficult. that road. 
it's very difficult yeah um so it, it, it's also a bummer because this album is not one of the because they just did the new update for spotify where it has all the lyrics and it'll like you can follow along and i was like Fuck oh, yeah, yeah this will be a perfect use of that no it doesn't they, they haven't updated it yet for it that's a that's one thing I want to linger on just real quickly is that the two versions that exist of this on Spotify one is the original is is just nine tracks, uh, but it's edited, and then there's a expanded version that is explicit, but it's fifteen tracks, and the original album was thirteen tracks. So there's definitely some different kind of versions of of this album that have happened over the years. I just wanted to point that out. But the other my other favorite song was the Seventh Chamber Part Two. Um, just a fucking awesome song to listen to. These are the two songs that I like. I, I just like will continue to return to. I'd say like in a second tier, um, bring the ruckus, uh, shame, cream, um, Wu Tang ain't f- nothing to fuck with. Uh, and then like after that, it's like, uh, you know, uh, enjoy, but not like need to return to type stuff. Interesting. So you missed you. You don't like the only single that was even moderately successful uh which was protection neck cream oh cream uh i said cream i said cream in the first tier oh okay or second tier i I guess second second tier i I put cream and you didn't even mention my favorite track is that method man no the mystery of chess boxing that's a good song too. That's it's a, a great song. fucking track. Great <laughs> yeah, that's track. a good song. <laughs> it's a great track, and uh, everybody kind of comes in hard. The uh, interesting about Cream is the best verse is the only verse by Mastakello on the whole album, and I think it's the best verse possibly on the whole album. Uh, definitely on Cream, which is the big track from the album. It was the only song that kind of was popular. The album didn't even do that well. Uh, we'll get into that a little bit, but uh, it's kind of a slow grower and has become more popular but at the time it kind of wasn't a bomb but for it was i mean it was still underground hip-hop at the time so like even making it into the billboard top 100 is pretty awesome but uh yeah cream was the only one that got you know some airplay um and yeah i would say cream would be my favorite if i hadn't heard cream like four thousand fucking times I'm with you on that. Uh, yeah, I'd say the commercial success of this record to me is similar to what Illmatic did because Illmatic is just like grossly undersold. I, I think it still stands at only two times platinum. It may have reached three by now, which is totally, totally insane what to me. What the fuck are you talking about? Is that not? That, yeah, that's that real. Um, well, no, that, I, I did. That, that's going to uh, make me very angry if that's true. My brother and I did It Was Written for Music Friends. I know. And I, did, I remember talking to you about it. What I, the fuck in the absolute fuck? It is 2 million copies as of 2019. Yeah. Oh, this world. Wait, how many people are devils, according to the <laughs> I believe that uh, 10% 5%? are devils that okay. have knowledge well, but keep the rest ignorant. And there's how many people in the world? It's like 7 billion. Um, yeah. 698 million or whatever 6,998 million of all y'all are fucking idiots for not <laughs> buying Illmatic ever or just streaming Jesus. it into a, a higher tier uh, I, that, that anyways, is pretty wild sorry sorry I'm gonna get but no this one's gonna similar. get an Illmatic discussion <laughs> 
We'll do Illmatic. I, I will not do Illmatic without you. I, I make you that promise right now. Illmatic will not be done without Julian Freeze. But it's actually a good, it's actually a good, interesting thing. And I, I think that's kind of where you're getting at. But it's also, there's, those are both debut albums that are better than the rest of their output ever. Yeah. And are, <laughs> yes. <laughs> and are recognized as the greatest and one of two of the greatest hip hop albums of all time. Yet they, at the time, were not commercially successful. Right. I, I do think this one had a a relatively decent boom at the beginning. Yeah. And I believe now it's over three times platinum. And I think it's just been kind of a steady, a steady trickle over the years as different formats have come out and and whatnot. But yeah, uh, yeah it is wild that it's that it's only that. And like, you know, like Lauren Hill's record is like <laughs> diamond, you know, it's like <laughs> it's crazy. Um, yeah. Yeah. So I had one more uh, within the the songs, and that just had to do, and this is my fourth factor here, which is chemistry. Which uh, they so, obviously have in spades. This is one of my favorite parts of the book. This is the RZA listing all of the different chemicals that that uh, influenced the group uh, mm-hmm. as they made this and other albums. So a quote Marijuana. from him here is so. <laughs> A quote from him uh, is, the vibe with 36 Chambers was definitely a lot of weed. Weed is involved in 85% of our music. Uh, and then there's another quote here that said, I didn't know at the time, but cocaine influenced a lot of the best rapping on 36 Chambers. <laughs> yep. Sounds about uh, right. And then lastly, just a list of the different substances that he listed and what he'd do is he'd list them and then he'd list like their actual chemical composition he'd list the organic chemistry uh diagram for like where how it existed and then he would just kind of describe the drug uh as a standalone like isolated from any other context so he listed weed coke pcp lsd mdma alcohol huffing water and fructose And so, I, like, I'm, la- I'm not, I don't mean to like be making fun. It's just like, just listening or reading his different the ways he different he thinks about things is like it's just really interesting. And so he's yeah. breaking down these different inputs that people put into their body. And and the water one was interesting. Then the fructose one was kind of a way for him to talk about how much sugar there is on the street in in low income poverty stricken yeah, parts sure. of New York and like how harmful it can be. Uh, well, but the other drugs, like, yeah. They're yeah, like well, the other drugs were just, uh, yeah, for sure. Uh, the other drugs were just listed as like he would give like anecdotes of like there was this one time we were writing the song on PCP and blah blah blah. So, so it was, it's just interesting and funny, and I'm so glad that this book exists. That, that's yeah. it. Well, um, I want I, I want to check it out for sure. So, uh, is Cream your favorite? Or did you have another one? I, yeah, no, I would no Cream's not my favorite. I'm saying the mystery of chess, chess boxing is my favorite. Uh, nice. But uh, Cream, had I not heard Cream a million times, I would probably uh, like it better. Uh, so uh, this is a trick question. But what is the lowest selling uh, uh, Wu-Tang album? Uh, and how many units were sold? Uh, I don't know the records like that well top to bottom. No, it doesn't I, matter. This is more of a trick question. It's kind of a, a, a more general, like, did you know this thing happened? Is it this one? No, it's called Once Upon a Time in Shaolin. Only okay. one 
copy has ever sold. And it was sold to oh. Martin Shkreli, that like pharmaceutical douchebag who ended up like going to jail. Um, that they like sold it for like a hundred thousand dollars and it's only one copy out there. Holy shit. So, so I've always wondered about this. Uh, so they basically sold like the master tapes, right? They, they... Just that one. Yeah. I don't know. That's but, really yeah. interesting. Uh, yeah, so there's no then... other copy of it other than that one. I think it got, it's been released subsequently somehow, I think. Um, but I don't know. Yeah, because Homeboy's in jail. I I, yeah. I thought that it, I thought that the result of that was that it uh, was released. But I th- it this sends my brain in so many directions because if you own that, you could technically reproduce it and sell yeah, it under the Wu Tang like name. A, it's like, like the oh, it's like the first NFT almost. A, you know, uh, kind of that that was where my brain went too. Yeah, the one of one thing. Yeah. Uh, so that's that's interesting. Uh, um, all right, Danny, is this this artist best album? I think we skipped one there. Um, What's the favorite song on the album? I don't have another question. Uh, from three, we go to four, which is the insight. What's it? production insight? Oh, shit. Yeah. Uh, I don't have one for that. Uh, what's no the worries. question again? Uh, what's no an interesting uh, story about the production or an insight into how the album was made or something to that effect? Oh, baby. I've got, I've got more than enough for both of us. So I got, uh, I got some stuff for that, too, actually. So the fifth factor in the Enter the Wu-Tang uh, is the Eastern philosophies sure. influence uh, on RZA and the way it permeated throughout the band. So RZA refers to himself as Abbot of the Wu-Tang Clan, and that uh, defined briefly is basically the superior of a monastery. So yeah. I think he has always kind of been at least the highest monk basically, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. So uh in the book he talks about Cham Buddhism, Taoism, Confucianism, uh but he does uh after kind of describing each in brief and how it influenced him, he says, today I'm not a Muslim, I'm not a Buddhist, I'm not a soldier of any one religious sect. Uh, I realize you can never put a circle around the truth and say it belongs to one sect. I'm a student. Like Solomon said, he sought wisdom out from the cradle to the grave. I think that's pretty perfect. This, this is yeah. like a super, super curious guy. And sure. uh, anytime you hear him talk, he is uh, exploring the uh, studio space. Um, so uh, number six, number six factor is uh, chess. So mm-hmm. Riza and several of the other members of the Wu-Tang Clan uh, are big into playing chess. Uh, he used a anecdote in which he said that Stanley Kubrick on the set of all of his films would keep a chess set in case anyone wanted to challenge him. I thought that was really interesting. And, mm-hmm. and clearly that got inside him. Uh, both Jizza and Ghostface Killa were, were some of his most frequent um, opponents. Mm-hmm. Um, he talked about how it teaches you to think multiple moves ahead, uh, to strategize, how to attack, and how to defend. So, um, mm-hmm. yeah, I thought that was interesting. Did you have anything for this one, or did you want to scoot to the next one? Uh, they paid for the studio time for Protect Your Neck with $300 in quarters. Yes. Um, yeah, that's just, a, I mean, that's really all I had for, for that. Um Obviously, they, uh, you know, they were and they were stealing like 
canned goods from the store to like feed themselves though they were doing stu- like doing the studio work um i can't i think it was meth used to like we'll just wear like a like a big uh duster and like throw some shit into the in some canned goods in there so um you know they would they were obviously broke shit and uh you know just trying to scrap by um and it kind of shows up in the, their scrappy nature shows up in the album i think well put uh bonus question before we go to the uh you know the best album question sure uh and that's just who do you enjoy in a vacuum uh on a track most of all the different members so that's i that's literally my exact question by my random question as well damn it uh, stole it stole it uh, it's fine it's all right because i have two <laughs> for my random question so i'll just eliminate that one uh i would say overall, incepted yeah I would say overall, uh, probably, oh, shit. Uh, I think Method, probably the best rapper of the group. Like, solely. Um, yeah. Yeah, I think Method Man, uh, like, uh, The What is in my top 10 hip-hop songs of all time. Uh, and that's him and Biggie. He's the only feature on Ready to Die, which is a pretty fucking awesome thing that's to right. have in your repertoire. Um, and uh, yeah, no, uh, it's. I think he's probably the best rapper of the group. I I feel proud of myself for agreeing with you. I uh, I look up to your hip hop expertise, <laughs> and I, I I actually do agree with you here. I I think when he gets on a track, there's just something about the excitement. But then the way he weaves in and out, and the wordplay, yep. and just kind of that like smoky kind of gravelly voice, whatever it is, is just yeah. it's amazing. Uh, yeah, I think he's my favorite too. So we can move on. All right, so my question is, and with this, we can talk a little bit about what I sent you before and just in general a little bit. Uh, a lot. Some of the members have been in movies and stuff like that. Uh, what's your favorite uh, acting performance by a member of the Wu-Tang? It's a great question, and I have a, a little stat for this after I answer it. I think without question, it's Riza and Jizza getting on stage during the racial draft. Yep. Okay. So I have that. <laughs> uh, I have that and uh, Wu Tang Financial also. Uh, and yes. Gotta I, diversify your bonds. <laughs> I I really wanted to do like a drill down of all the Chappelle show uh, appearances because they're all amazing. Yeah, I think um, there's only yeah, there's like three, but yeah. Yeah. Old Dirty uh, wanted to let us know, let you know that he changed his name. <laughs> old dirty to the old dirty Chinese restaurant. <laughs> yes. Oh man, I need to go back and watch because it'll be so much funnier now. Oh, uh, it's it's fucking great. Uh, <laughs> yeah, that's amazing. And then uh, my other one was, and I sent this to you earlier, but it's the uh, there's a uh, Jim Jarmusch movie, Coffee and Cigarettes. It's a bunch of different little interstitial things. Uh, they're like seven minute long vignettes and. Uh, one of them is the Riz of the Jizza and Bill Murray all hang out and like talk about tea. Like they don't, they don't, their chemicals that they're putting in their body now are totally different than they were in, uh, in 1993. So, uh, it's an interesting little, uh, you can find it on YouTube. I sent it to Danny on YouTube. It's a pretty good 
watch. The whole movie is actually really kind of interesting. Um, just little vignettes. Jack White's in there. Tom Waits. Nice. Um, yeah, there's some really cool people in there, and they're all real weird. Uh, Jack White, I think, plays Tesla, Nikola Tesla, in the in the in the shorts. It's a it's an interesting little movie. It's nothing. I mean, you know, nothing gonna blow your mind, but it's a cool little uh, early two thousands uh, kind of hoity toity art piece. Uh, uh, definitely recommend that. Uh, the tidbit I was going to tack on here is just I wrote down how many different film appearances each member had oh. over the years. So the RZA's in 11, Jizza 5, ODB 3, Method Man 29, Raekwon 7, Ghostface Killer 6, Inspector Deck 2, You Got 2, Master Killer 2. So, how many, uh, uh, how high sequels were there? I didn't realize there were so many. Dude, he, he was in a lot of stuff. And like, you fucked with The yeah. Wire, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, he's I mean, he's he fucking awesome in The Wire. He's, he's yeah. an asshole, but like, he's, like, I feel like he's just perfectly cast for that yeah. for that role uh, did you see did you ever see ghost dog no uh i want to say the rizza not didn't direct it uh but he has some pretty major um part of it hold on a second i'm sorry i think he does it's a yeah he does the he does the score for ghost dog um uh, nice. it's, a Jim, it's another jim jarmish movie uh it's got uh it starts forrest whitaker it's pretty it's a pretty interesting nice. kind of cool movie um yeah it's called ghost dog the way of the samurai it's about a black guy that does uh that has swords um you know so i don't know why the rizzo would be interested in that but uh yeah, you know. <laughs> uh, uh, so- yeah no. I can do I can do my custom question now, and then we can backtrack yeah, to um, is this the artist? Much, yeah, I mean I think uh, that one's pretty easy, right? Like I mean, it is, uh, it is. Uh, but yeah, I'll do mine. So yeah. um, the seventh factor here is slang, and uh-huh. slang is very big to Wu Tang Clan. The there's a twenty page glossary in the book of just <laughs> slang terms it's fucking amazing like that just, sounds awesome just stuff you just would not believe so i i wrote down a couple and i'm gonna quiz you Julia, all right i like this i like whether this or not you know what this is a uh, this is like a Chappelle skit uh where yeah it's at, uh do you know black people or something yeah right the game show i was trying to think of what the game yeah. show is called it's ask a black like, dude know, is yeah. is mooney yeah. it's not ask yeah. a black dude no, it's like, uh, do you know black people or something to that something effect? Something like that. Yeah. All right. So, uh, Julian, what is a biscuit? Shit. Is that an ass? It is not. It is a gun. No, uh, biscuit. Also, also uh, slang, uh, other slang words for gun would be calico, burner, chrome, god you, pelican, or toast. Uh, according to Wu-Tang. Pelican, bro. Uh, so, uh, what does it mean to Swayze? Oh, fuck, man. I don't know. Get drunk? Or get fucked up? <laughs> it is... It is, to, <laughs> it is to... It is to disappear like a ghost, oh, ghost. after Patrick Swayze. God, I was going to say do some pottery. I, I almost said that. Or did Dirty Dance. <laughs> 
what is a low goose? Jesus Christ. <laughs> Fuck. Uh, low goose. Oh, my God. Um, I don't know. You're, you're almost running out of drinks. This is a tough one. So it, it appears on the on the record quite a bit. Uh, it's the polo goose jacket, which was oh. super the goose in down vogue. White polo. Is, it the, is it the white one? Yeah, exactly. Uh, there yeah, was like yeah, three yeah. or four hundred bucks, but it was like a super status symbol yep, yep, uh, around yep. this time. And they would use so low as the as a uh, sub form of polo with a lot of different clothing. So it would be like low jacket, low shirt or whatever. Uh, to be fair, would you have gotten any of these? Oh, no, absolutely okay, not. Cool. All right, you Maybe biscuit. Maybe biscuit. Uh, Biscuit's I don't tough. Know. It is. It, it, I mean, did they say it in the wire? That's like, <laughs> that's probably. How, that's how I get there. Uh, so, uh, f- last one would be four nine. What is a four nine? Fuck, I don't know. Jesus. <laughs> it is uh, police. Uh, other four terms nine. for police. The forty ninth precinct or something. Was that where they were? That might have been. Yeah, maybe. yeah, probably. Uh, also, also uh, other slang for police would be C cipher punks, Jakes, or five hundred ones. Five hundred ones is what five we're O's. looking for. Five O's, yeah. yeah, yeah, basically. So, um, there was one other. Yeah, I've got some random tidbits, but let's backtrack to the to the. Uh, is it the best album? And then I'll kind of run down. I've got some. Some one-off kind of uh, random stuff about the album, but uh, yeah, I uh, I think this is probably their best album. I, I think based on influence, uh, especially if you look at when some of the other classic albums came out in relation to this, uh, I think that it's it's wildly influential in that way. We've talked a little bit about the Rolling Stone list, which has changed a lot over the years. Yeah, and in twenty twenty. It is 27th on Rolling Stone's all-time list of greatest yeah, albums. That's which, a huge. It's huge. So, so Where's I always have. Where's um, I'll look it up in just a second. Uh, but I, 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 I always have to give the distinction that this Rolling Stone list was pretty sacred from when it came out in 2013, or 2003 rather to when they changed it a lot in 2020. And we've talked about it several times on the pod, but uh, basically it was whitewash, no pun intended, with a lot of black artists. And that's cool. I, I think black yeah. artists need to, yeah, need need to need receive it. their due. But it, I, I'll just say I think it went too far. I think, I think like Lemonade is like the 15th album. All right, and go like, fuck yourself. Yeah. It, well, so, so what was great about the list is how hard it was to break into for so long. Sure. Like only so few albums. And stuff like that. Yeah. It's greatest album of all time. You know? Yeah. Like, it's not uh, best. It's not best. Exactly. Like late registration, uh, like these really, really great albums, uh, would, would, you know, it, it would take something really, really special to, to get on the list, but yeah. they really redid the whole list essentially in 2020. With that being said, this is listed as the 27th greatest album ever. And that whole list essentially is built on influence and the things that came from this pillar. So I think that a lot of different things can be drawn from that. On that point, um, 
This album came out 10 months before Ready to Die. It came uh, five months before Illmatic, two months before Blunted on Reality, the Fuji's record, uh, 18 months before The Infamous by Mob Deep, 27 months before Reasonable Doubt, which is not especially comparable, but interesting nonetheless. Reasonable Doubt's a great album. Uh, and as you said, uh, and actually specified further than I did, it came out the same month as Midnight Marauders, but actually the same day, which is That's awesome. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. Um, Illmatic is 44, which is insane. That's insane. Uh, Why, it should not yeah. be. There's no, there's no way that this album's better than that. It's not even close. Uh, I think it should be top ten. I think that's like a shoe in top. For 10 me, record. yeah, but I mean, I mean, obviously, but I, I mean, I understand like uh, maybe it, you know, Nas is not going to probably crack the, crack the top ten with Illmatic. I can understand that, but you can flip, you can flip enter the enter thirty six with Illmatic. Forty four seems a little bit more accurate for enter the thirty six, and twenty seven is I would be a lot more okay with than forty four. I'm with you, uh, and and one of the one of the parts of the the influence I wanted to touch on as I as I get through my last two uh, points here would just be the ensemble nature of their group. Yep. I, I think that that was going on, but not uh, to this degree, and that leads into my eighth factor, which is organized crime. Organized crime had a yep. huge influence on RZA, and uh, as we can see, the nine members of Wu-Tang Clan, the, the original nine members were considered generals, uh, all of equal rank with people under them. Um, they tried to structure it <laughs> as close to like a crime family as, as sure. possible. Uh, the Gambino crime family is uh, was on Staten Island and Castellanos and Gotti's kids went to school there. It was kind of a known thing. Mm -hmm. Organized crime was, was integrated into everyday culture uh gangster culture and black culture um i think have at least and hip-hop culture have have kind of embraced some of these same ideas ideals um and and i, I think we've seen that over time on uh raycon raekwon's cuban links he talks about the Wu gambinos and mm -hmm. kind of a extrapolation of that idea on uh nas's uh, I think starting on It Was Written, he kind of starts referring to himself as uh, Escobar. Uh, mm -hmm. And and that kind of furthers that same idea. And to me, it, it really ends up with uh, just talking about RZA is just like a really keen pop culture overseer. You know, he, he just sure. like he kind of understands all of this, which leads me into my last factor, uh, number nine, which is comic books. Um most of them collected comics uh, from an early age. Method Man was known to have a really big collection. Uh, they went on to make a couple of their own comics under the Wu-Tang name. Sure. In, two, in 2002, the Nine Rings of Wu-Tang replaced X-Men as the top comic in the country, which is pretty cool. Hmm. Uh, <laughs> I believe it was 2006. RZA, RZA came up with the idea to make a Bobby Digital album and then mm -hmm. a, a Bobby Digital comic as well. And he took it as far as uh, actually bulletproofing a car and making a suit and actually trying to be like a vigilante oh, superhero in Shaolin. I, it's just unbelievable. The, this, is, this is the last point, but in the comic book, the way that... <laughs> I don't know why this makes me laugh so much, but the way, like his superpower, like his spinach to what, what spinach was to Popeye is that he yeah. would smoke these pollen dipped blunts 
And then mm-hmm. once once he was high, he was able to shoot ideas into people and and wake up their minds. So oh. there you have it, man. There you Does have the it. Does Rizza hang out with Kyrie? I'm pretty sure they're close. <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay, so I have like one thing. This is just a random. There's a couple things that are just random facts that yeah. I had. Um, Childish Gambino's name came from a MySpace MySpace Wu Tang name generator. Nice. So <laughs> nice. that's that's where the Childish Gambino got his name. Um, uh, at one point in time, Mace. Uh, got into it with somebody in Ghostface Entourage back in the day and walked away with a broken jaw. That's where Kanye's line uh, in Through the Wire, if you could feel my how my face felt, you would know how Mace felt. Nice, That's where that comes dude. From. Um, oh, and they, it, there's a term for this specific time in hip-hop, and it's called Carhartt-era rap. Oh, Nice. Because they're all it. rocking like Tim's and Carhartt and shit like that, and that was like the look for the time. So, uh, but yeah, no, that's all I got for random facts. Nice, dude. You're coming with the heat today. I, I appreciate it. I, I on the back of that Carhartt point, there's a quote and a, and just a paraphrase from RZA in the book where he's talking about how this album is meant to be listened to in the cold in the winter. Uh, he was talking about sure. how. Cuban Links, the Raekwon record, was more of a summery, outdoorsy album. But he wanted, I, I think he said specifically, he wants you shivering when you're listening to this album. So sure, it definitely, it definitely that. feels that way. Um, I've got some stuff. I'll roll through it. Uh, stop me. Jump on me at any point. Um, the last words of the book, you know, I've used a lot of the words from the book. I wanted to sure. at least clarify his final thought here. For those that seek knowledge, it's there. But you have to seek it out. Do the knowledge and understand it on your own. You know? Good advice. Yeah. yeah. Uh, he used what's called the Abbott's rule of four in decision making for the group. If four members were against it, it was a serious uh, pushback to to any idea they had. Um, Ghostface Killer and Master Killer were both characters in Kung Fu Flicks. Those are names from okay. Kung Fu Flicks. Shaolin is uh, supposed to be Staten Island, essentially, when mm-hmm. it's when it's referred to in the context of uh, Wu Tang. Yeah. The Shaolin first record. Island. Yeah, exactly. Uh, the first record, excuse me, the this first record cost exactly $36,000, which, you know, they well, the, the numerology of it. <laughs> he, oh, God. He, well, he listed that point right after all the numerology stuff, and I was like, all right. <laughs> uh, so RZA had a lot of foresight for the brand of – of Wu-Tang, whereas the group had their own record deals, but he saw the benefit of each of them going out and getting their own deals if they wanted to. Uh, he, And the analogy he used was using uh, Wu-Tang as Nestle Quick, but then there's different, you have Nestle Strawberry Quick, Nestle Diet oh. Quick, stuff like that. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that makes sense. <laughs> Oh, it's so good. That's in the uh, that's in the uh, glucose portion of their uh, (laughs) the chemical environment. 
<laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, and the last thing I have is some words from Rolly Pemberton, who did the Pitchfork review. And that is just that this is the sound of accidental fame. Something as unique and unusual as this record isn't supposed to find itself at the height of commercial viability. It's supposed to smolder underground, hidden from the view of mainstream America, who surely would not be ready for such a challenge. Sure. Um, perfectly done. And that's, that a really recent, that's a more recent review, right? Like they didn't actually have a review of it at the time, I don't think. Yeah, that's that's totally right. I, I'm not sure what year this came out. But, yeah, I um, only found there was only four reviews that I could find. Um, Entertainment Weekly actually gave it an A. Nice. By the way, Rolling Stone gave it four stars. So they, both of them were pretty on it, as and the source was four and a half out of five. So it was, you know, critically at least well received at the time. So that's pretty legit. I so my last point. Um, yeah, and it's one that uh, I didn't I didn't lean into as much as I wanted to. We we talked about how. Uh, coded a lot of the 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 words are uh, throughout the rap and this is just kind of an example but uh, not on this album but on Wu-Tang Forever there's a song called Triumph and uh, inspect a Dex verse in the words of Jizza kind of breaking down how brilliant uh, this verse was and he's talking about how it's one of his favorites but the line is black Wu jackets queen bees ease the guns and Jizza says he's saying that the women bring the guns into the place, which came up throughout the book. They to sure. get like weapons in, they commonly sneak them in with the, the women. But he's saying that the women bring the guns in the place, but it's so slick you can't even touch it. The average MC would have been, we all rolled to the club. I passed the gun to my shorty, but that ain't Wu Tang. So this is something yeah. that has developed over time. And the better you can do this, you know, the better, you know. Uh, oftentimes the the more respect, the more credit you're going to be given. Kendrick Lamar has taken this to absolutely new heights. There's so sure. much coded and layered information within his music. That's why we love him so much. But sure. uh, this was something that the Wu, that Wu-Tang really cared about. And it's, it's throughout all their music. If you want to do the work and look at the lyrics, they're talking about all kinds of different stuff. And actually that glossary of slang is actually helpful in yeah. going through like, and like, what actually the hell decoding is everything. Yeah, man. So, so yeah, that's all I got here. Um, awesome, I enjoy man. this record. I, I understand the, the uh, Wu-Tang better now. Um, yep. I hope you enjoyed it too. I hope this was a good choice for you. Did you Definitely. have anything you wanted to uh, staple on top here? No, def- no. I uh, yeah. I, I like I said. I like. I really enjoy. Like I enjoy the record. Um, I, it's just something that, uh, as far as a fan of the genre, it kind of I missed it. And kind of going back, it it didn't grab me the way it would have probably if I had um, grabbed it earlier. But I I do enjoy Agreed. it. Agreed, man. Well, we did it. My man. All right. Thanks for showing up. I uh, I appreciate it. We're gonna do it a hundred times more. And uh, thanks, dude. Yeah, man, for sure. Check this, yo. I've been know a certain surgical procedure that I can perform using a drill gun. Electric drill. <laughs> That's serious, yo. But yo, you know my hands is nice from being a DJ. You know what I mean? So to me, music and medicine all go together. It's like two planets revolving around the same sun. So bong bong. You want some tea? Yeah, me. Ten episodes down. Thank you to everyone for listening. Thank you to all my guests for making this thing happen. I have one of those guests with me today to put down a special celebratory 10th episode segment. He's been feasting on nostalgia for weeks in anticipation of this pod. Scott, what's up, my man? 
Hey, thanks for having me. I feel honored to participate in this uh, basically impossible task of narrowing <laughs> down <laughs> the 40 years I've been on earth into uh, 10 songs that made an impression and kind of rearranged my brain. But it was fun, and thanks for having me. That's exactly right. Uh, glad to have you here, bud. Uh, so the mission was, as Scott alluded to, 10 songs that fucked you up was kind of the original idea we had. And what that changed into was was kind of a, a look back at different pivots that we had uh, across, you know, as early as we could remember uh, as far as listening to music and then up to, you know, potentially recently. So um, we're going to go through 10 songs each, alternate one by one, and uh, give you a, a look into kind of our, our musical consciousness and how we got here. Uh, I had some big picture kind of thoughts on the process itself, because as you said, it, you know, it seems like a simple idea when we put it down and when we discuss it. And then the deeper I got into it, I was like, whoa, this is, <laughs> this is really uncovering some, some layers and, and forcing me to look, uh, at some different chapters of my life. Um, I thought that one of my biggest takeaways was there was like this satisfying layer of honesty that I had to have with myself in choosing certain mm -hmm. songs because I, what I found a lot was there was like clusters of songs. There was like groupings of songs in a, in a certain chapter of life and, and determining like which song was the signal and which songs might have been the noise surrounding that was a little challenging. Did you yeah. uncover some of that? Yeah, I did. And like I was telling you before we, you know, started recording, I took this to be, you know, my songs are benchmarks. They're checkpoints. They're pivot points, like you said. I could have picked any number of songs from 1994 or 1997 or 2004 or wherever I was, whatever was kind of getting me off at any point in life. Like you said, a lot of songs that are just clustered into the same time period. Yeah, we both went. We both went. We're both going to go chronological in our lives, not necessarily when these songs came out, although I think mine are pretty much in order. That's a good but, distinction. Yeah. Yeah. And so I just had to I took the assignment as these were songs that changed the trajectory of my music taste or opened doors or set me on you know, uh, a path that just included more. These are songs that kind of like opened my eyes and built out that breadth of musical knowledge. Widened the aperture for sure. And that was where Definitely. I yep. as well. Um, one of the other things, and I, I imagine we'll touch on this throughout, but you guys talk about this on your podcast, the Is It Safe podcast. If you guys want to check that out, I, I highly cool. recommend. Um, Memory. Memory kind of sucks, you know, like memories <laughs> like not nearly as good as we think it is. But what's so cool about doing this exercise was there's an undeniable kind of traceability to the exact song. You know what I mean? Like mm -hmm. you can have all these memories and you remember them a certain way. And to you, that's what happened. But with the music, there's 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 undeniable you know, this was the song that was playing and, and you know, you can mm -hmm. source that. And I thought that was really cool too. Yeah, definitely. Uh, this is what I looked like. This is what grade I was in. This is what 
female i was sweating or whatever that's <laughs> <laughs> such a common through line dude yeah so, absolutely. <laughs> yeah i've had to look back into some dark places while researching this but once we get to you know once we get to 2000 once we get into the 21st century i feel more comfortable it does it does i maybe it uh bears mentioning that i'm like how much older am i than you i don't know if that like matters but Dude, I'm turning 40. I'm turning 40 tomorrow. Okay, nice. Happy early birthday. Thanks. Uh, I am turning 36 this year. So uh, oh, okay, I thought we were. Years. I thought we were a little further apart. So okay, not that. Not that bad. I was just wondering if we were coming at. I thought you were five to eight years younger, but yeah. So we were coming into our musical consciousness like kind of similarly. Similar, but that 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 four to five years can also be like a can be a, a big difference. <laughs> yep, yep. <laughs> That's the difference and between like <laughs> Blink One Eighty Two and you know like early Green Day or whatever. <laughs> For sure. Yep, dude, you're exactly right. Those little generous, little tiny generational steps where you're like, oh wow, like you were getting into that as at the exact time I was getting off of that boat or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Totally true. Not to yeah, say, I, no, certainly not to say I'm a more learned uh, music fan than you. That's not it at all. It's just, it's funny, you know, when you are 15 or when you like get your first car or something and you just start playing CDs in your first car, there's just going to be a difference between 1997 or 98 and 2003 or four or whatever. It's, Exactly right. Well put. Yeah. So a lot of self-reflecting here, a lot of looking back. It was fun to listen to many of my favorite, if not most resonant songs. You know, I think you mentioned before we've got a lot of songs that like you don't necessarily like anymore uh, or at least like don't (laughs) actively seek out. But again, back to like that truth piece, I was like I was really trying to search for what the exact songs were and not just maybe one of the songs that I like more now but wasn't truly the signal of, of maybe a change back in that time. So with that, man, unless you've got anything else to uh, give us uh, as far as a prelude, do you want to start us off with your, your yeah. first song? Yeah, let's jump right in, man. We will be covering quite a bit, I feel like. Um, yeah. So as, uh, as a Detroiter, suburban Detroiter, born, you know, born and raised, I grew up on Motown, no surprise. That's basically pick a song. Um, my I grew up like going. My dad always had the classic car, so we'd go to the car shows and parking lots and what have you. So Motown was basically the first, and anything played on oldies one hundred four point three, as you will likely oh, remember. Yeah. The yep. dentist so basically, go to. Yeah, <laughs> I've zeroed in on a song, but by way of saying like oldies 104.3 from like (laughs) birth until 10 years old or something um i'm gonna start off with everyone's favorite now deceased scumbag producer phil specter and i selected the crystals then he kissed me um i just dude it could have been you've got that you've lost that love and feeling it could be anything by holland dozier holland like the stuff he did with the supremes and four tops basically pick it um i think that i just the wall of sound before i obviously knew what it was resonated with me as you know a 
six-year-old, seven, eight, nine years old, this music, it just felt it just felt otherworldly. I also am positive that that was when I started locking in on drums. Um, hmm. I'm a, I'm a drummer and I'm positive that that was instrumental in me gravitating toward the drums was just that I just always loved the beat. Um, I always kind of paid attention to the cadence and the drum sound of a lot of those songs being played on that station. So, um, yeah, then he kissed me by the crystals. Love that, like wall sound girl group stuff. Uh, Phil Spector's past, notwithstanding. Uh, so yeah, anything. Pick anything. Oldies, Motown, Holland, Dozier, Holland. But we'll just go with that song. Dude, you know what that song makes me think of? Of course, is the uh, the Goodfellas scene when he's coming into yeah. the the Copa and he's like walking uh-huh. through one of, one of the best tracking shots of all time. Yeah, a lot, a lot of like heavy associations with a lot of the songs I have coming up with the music video or, you know, how it fits into cinema. Uh, but that song, yeah, that song rips. And and like I said, anything like that, that was the first music that I consciously ingested. And it was just all around. Like, that's all my dad listened to. Beauty, man. Um, I... Uh, we're going to paint somewhat of a picture here. So I try to be pretty specific with the timing. So this is, it's a little non-relevant, but I'm targeting August, 1994. I was eight years old (laughs) and to, to set the scene, uh, my parents' house in Goodison, Michigan, in the back room was kind of like a a living area with a kitchen, uh, where the kitchen attached, but where the uh, dinner table was. And there was a white bows. I know most people can remember those Bose CD players. There was a rather large stack of CDs. Uh, There's dinner cooking, family time, uh, some dancing, but a lot more singing and just kind of grooving. And so the the most resonant song from all the music that we listened to there for me was Sweet Baby James by James Taylor. Uh, My mom (laughs) has always been a huge James Taylor fan. My younger brother's name is James. So we would sing the song. And like, for some reason, when I was eight, I was like, this song must be about my family. (laughs) And uh, (laughs) well, some of the other stuff I had in kind of that cluster was uh, my stepdad would play Sgt. Pepper's all the time. I didn't understand anything that was going on. uh, But I, I do remember those sounds quite a bit. Al Green, greatest hits, James Brown, greatest hits. Uh, but James Taylor, as soon as I hit that James Taylor note, it was just a matter of picking a James Taylor song. And that one seemed to like really, really uh, twist the knife uh, the most poignantly. So, yeah. Sweet baby. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, what's the Carolina one? Carolina in my mind was in contention. Mm-hmm. Fire and Rain, of course. Um, a lot of the sergeant or the greatest hits ones, so. Yeah, man, we're we're off and running. What's the next one? All right, uh, switching gears. There I am in 1991, and uh, Pearl Jam's Ten yes. comes out. Yes. So I know for a fact that Even Flow was the song that really hooked into me. I think it was it was released as a single. It was, I think it was the third single. So it may have came out in, I think, early 1992. But I remember specifically my parents would go to Put-in-Bay, 
which is essentially like down river cancun for like young young parents like it's where parents it's like we're it's like it's like where your suburban detroit and suburban like cleveland and toledo parents would go to just act a fool yes and so my dad and mom and uncle would go out there with some of their friends and we would be left with my grandmother you know in the hotel room and so even flow just it exploded onto me like this is where i this might be and this is one of the few that i don't know that i love this song anymore it's still good i don't feel like i have to apologize for any of these songs but this may have been one of the most important because this is the moment as a nine-year-old maybe 10 years old where i took agency over my own musical tastes huge love motown love that sound i loved everything that i was hearing up until i was you know a nine or ten year old but that song specifically is where i thought to myself okay like i love this my mom and dad don't love this no one no one in you know my family knows what this is or cares anything about this and i took hold of that and it felt empowering in a you know in a way i could go net you know and then that opens the door to grunge like forget about it by the time 1994 came out and you had Soundgarden and and green day and nirvana and all i could have just as easily chosen a, a nirvana like smells like teen spirit or something but even flow is the first one i remembered and it's the you know like i said maybe the most important song because it's the exact moment that i took a hold of the music that meant something to me it was a very personal song at the time as a nine-year-old i didn't know it was a pretty heavy song about homelessness um (laughs) but sounded pretty sweet to me (laughs) (laughs) so yeah i mean uh to call it one of my favorite Pearl Jam songs, I'd be lying. Uh, but that was just the one. That's beautiful, man. I One thing I wanted to do with Music Friends originally, and something I feel like I've fallen short of a little bit in these first 10 episodes, is music is truly so personal. And uh, we have these big conversations about where things belong and all of that. But what's cool about this conversation today is it's really personal. And yeah, you could have done Nirvana or whatever, you know, broad thing, um, you know, was going on mm-hmm. in popular culture, but that was the song for you yeah. that, that really marked the pivot. And yeah, taking oh. the agency is so huge. Yeah. And that's just the way, you know, there are a whole lot of songs that would have sounded cooler now in 2022. Uh, but it is so damn specific and personal that I would feel like I was doing this you know, project and this exercise a disservice by not by not just copying to the fact that that was the song in 1992 that just blew my brain out. Well done, man. All right. So for my second song, we're going to move a year forward, September 1995. It was funny looking back uh, and trying to pinpoint these times because it seemed like it was always fall 
Like every time I wanted to go back, it always seemed like it was either September or October. I think in Michigan, it's always either September or October for me for some reason. Uh, but yeah, so September 95, I'm nine years old. Uh, my parents split when I was pretty young, like five. And so my dad, for most of my life, lived in northern Michigan, Traverse City, uh, where my folks lived in Goodison, basically Rochester, Michigan. And so we would uh, go up to see my dad a couple times, not twice a month, maybe once a month. And so there would be a lot of drives where we would meet in a tiny Coleman, Michigan, Shell Station uh, to drop off. My parents would drop me off. My dad would take us up. We'd spend some time in Traverse. And those rides with my dad uh, brought a very specific musical memory. And the song that I have here is Tell Me What You See by the Beatles. My dad very deliberately did not play uh, post-Rubber Soul Beatles. Uh, he'd play up to Rubber Soul Beatles, uh, but wanted to let me figure out the the druggier Beatles for myself later on, which worked out perfectly. I got to give him credit; like he he really nailed that one. But help, he just kept for sure. he kept Revolver from you. Yeah, he's like, that's too much. <laughs> Tomorrow never knows is going to blow this little kid's brain up. Uh, but yeah, uh, help, dude. Uh, help just reminds me so much of those rides. We must have listened to it. 80 times and I had to go through help a couple times to figure out which song was most resonant and tell me what you see really really stuck with me um, so there was other rock again like a, another kind of cluster here where there was other rock played in the car my dad was always into a little harder rock so I got some Stone Temple Pilots some Metallica Tin Lizzy and mm -hmm. I have to think that this is where there's a bit of a seed planted for harder rock. I never really went into like a full metal type place, but there are bands that are on the harder edge that are some of my favorite bands, Rage, Tool, um, mm -hmm. you know. So, uh, yeah, I feel like it's one of the most resonant moments for sure with music. And the Beatles are a huge part of my whole progression like they've been here all along at all the different ways that I interface with music they were there whether it was really simple or now as we do music friends and I'm digging into Paul McCartney's expressions during get back like it's they, they've always been kind of a consistent theme as well and I think like I said that this planted the seeds for uh, some harder rock to seep into into my uh, consciousness so mm -hmm. yeah yeah, I want to take this opportunity. I know that maybe we will, if it makes sense, run down some of the the snubs and the slights at the end. Yes. Because you yes. can't include everything. But I would just like to apologize to aforementioned Rage Against the Machine. I don't know why you didn't make my list because you were <laughs> one of my favorite bands for years. I chose a song that we'll get to my next to next song uh but yeah rage dude couldn't even when evil empire dropped couldn't even deal with that record oh my god so so couldn't even I, handle it <laughs> i i echo the sentiment entirely because rage is uh maybe my favorite band like maybe my favorite catalog of music that exists and this is exactly what we talked about pre-show is like evil empire fucked you up Battle of L.A. Uh, that you, came out okay. was like yep, perfect. Was just yep. like the one that like hook line exactly. sinkered me. Exactly. Um, my third song. I'm not jumping too far. I'm jumping two years, but there's a reason. 
Okay. Uh, music video. Mm. Let's talk a little. Let's talk a little. Finding one's own body. <laughs> oh. Let's talk a little. Let's talk a little early onanism, and let's talk <laughs> any time, any place by Janet Jackson. Yes. I mean, this is one of my humble brags. Is that that was just legitimately the first song slash music video that I started really exploring the south region of scott and uh (laughs) just you know like in the basement as a well so what i'm i'm 11 or 12 and just puffing dust but like getting all up in that in that music (laughs) video and for it to then be sampled by you know in poetic justice i just felt so you know, I just felt validated like I was on the right track when I was 12 years old. But that song is so smooth, so sexy about sexual liberation as I am like, you know, trying to figure, figure out, out what sexual liberation means as a kid. Um, yeah, uh, I, I hope that doesn't ruin the music video or the enjoyment of that song for anybody. But <laughs> let's just say I love Janet and dude like hot take alert gun to head i'm taking janice's discography over michael's and i'm Ooh. not gonna not gonna sit here and apologize about it like rhythm nation and control and this one was off janet the self-titled velvet rope those records absolutely bang and they're they're just i don't know i'm, I'm just a janet i'm just a janet guy um so I am proud of myself and proud to admit that anytime, any place for a whole bunch of flustered reasons is my third song on this journey. I love it. We're getting very real. Uh, yeah, me- we're getting real, dude. I, there's just no <laughs> other way to say it. Man. I appreciate it. I appreciate it. The uh, The corollary for me would have been like, it was basically like the 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 white girl singer era. So it was like Christina, Brittany, yeah. you know, Robin had that one single or that one album, 97, 98. So that was, that was around when I figured out that you could, you know, <laughs> you could do these things. You were putting those pieces together, TRL. so to speak. <laughs> yeah. It's like, wait, I can just do it. <laughs> game changer, uh, literal game changer. Yeah. all right so for my third song and this is a big one um this is july 2001 so eight days before my 15th birthday uh, i can actually drill this one down to the day this is the uh in anticipation or in lead up to the blink 182 concert at pine knob uh touring their take off your pants and jacket tour in the lead up zach and i uh, found this band Newfound Glory that was going to be opening up for Blink. And we came across this song, Hit or Miss by Newfound Glory, which um, that that level of discovery, you talked about finding your own sovereignty in music and, and that pursuit, which I think now is like is like loss. Like, like to do the old man thing, the pursuit of music was a real thing 
before mm-hmm. before streaming and, and digital stuff like you had to sometimes like really dig deep to try to find <laughs> like music it was it was a lot more scarce so finding this song that was so cool and we loved listening to so much it really felt like the signal that i was trying to chase for the next like 5 years with my emo pop punk thing and uh yeah this song still is is pretty electric when i listen to it now i don't screw with a lot of that genre anymore uh but this was definitely a pivot and this was when i pivoted into you know wearing the billabong pants and like uh oh yeah you know the hurley <laughs> hurley uh, the, the, you felt like you absolutely needed arnett sunglasses yeah exactly <laughs> i was trying to discover who i was through clever marketing um, <laughs> i had i had to give some some honorable mentions to this one specifically because this was really where music like took over in high school uh, and specifically like this pop punk thing, kind of with Blink-182 being the genesis, which again, I'd love to pick them, but there wasn't a song that was as resonant as, as this one. So in that hit or miss cluster, I've got Look What Happened um, on the album Anthem by Less Than Jake. I've got uh, At Nature's Mercy by Hot Rod Circuit on the album Sorry About Tomorrow, uh, mm-hmm. Ups and Downs uh, by Saves the Day, and then Heart mm-hmm. Transplant by Punchline, which is just the most emo, it's just like stereotypically emo song. That it's like a little hard to listen to now, but at the time just meant so, 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 so much. Um, and yeah, this was this was a big one. This was where I was heading in the wrong direction a little bit, but I was seeking out music that intentionally that maybe not everybody else was listening to it created a bit of a personality for myself through high school and yeah just a biggie man a big one uh-huh i uh it's through the looking glass dude my next song is blink 182 damn it there we go <laughs> yes. uh i sorry not sorry but this is just so an interesting sidebar Band that I've seen the most live, beyond the shadow of a doubt, Newfound Glory. Wow. Okay. I've probably seen them twelve to fifteen times in my life. Wow. Like, just yeah. I don't even know if we talked about this, but suffice it to say, uh, this was just the beginning of like the plane took off. Like we left, we we left the runway at this point. Then it was just you know I had grunge and I loved you know. Nirvana, like I said, Nirvana, Offspring, Soundgarden, uh, Smashing Pumpkins, all those bands are really important to me. Uh, but this, like you, exactly like you said, just kicked off the next five years. It was punk, emo. I called it suburb punk. Blink Away 2 is like suburb punk. It's like third. It's like, I didn't like the first wave of punk. I, it was before me. And like the first wave or two of ska. Damn it, just kicked open the newfound glories of the world. The fat record sound, the lag wagon, the no use for a name, the anything just like melodic pop punk. Yep. Sky went along with that. Less than Jake, Goldfinger, Catch 22. I mean, you, the list just goes on and on. And then it ended with probably turn of the century, more emo, like Saves the Day was a, one of my favorites. Um, yeah, so I just remember, again, with the video, that was 97. I remember my 
buddy there was a, there was kind of this punk battle in our high school you know like one two three four who's punk once what's the score like everyone was just jockeying for position to be like the punkest motherfucker ever and i was, I was like well you're probably more punk than me, but like I feel real comfortable with my newfound glory and my saves the day and my blink 182. Yeah. So that was me, dude. Like frosting the tips, but using a lot of hair gel, <laughs> going to a punk rock show like once a week. You know, my parents, my parents were awesome at just kind of trusting me to go down into late mid late nineties Detroit with my, you know, just friends and commit tomfoolery and uh, you know i don't know like we we emerged uh, pretty much unscathed and yeah punk and and pop punk and emo and ska like like you said not gonna go back and like listen to a ton of it but when i'm feeling particularly nostalgic or it's a windows down in the summer kind of day and like who gives a rat's ass it's time to just get some energy out yeah i don't know dude that could be like that's a good vibe for for an afternoon. It's the immediacy. I, I've been thinking about this a lot. We, um, I, I don't I don't listen to it much anymore either. But when I go go back and listen to it, I I'm amazed at just how immediate most of the songs are. Everything mm-hmm. that's wanting to be conveyed is conveyed in real time. You know. Yep. In two um, minutes and forty five seconds. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And uh, just to put a bow on damn it that was a big song for me too and and i i came back to it it sounds like you were kind of ahead of the curve because that was pre blink 182 nuclear blink 182 that was on dude ranch and that was before yeah. enema came out enema came out and blew up went like a million times platinum and yeah i think what's my age again was the lead single on that and then all the small things but yeah as far as damn it shout out uh can't hardly wait uh, with yes. Jennifer Love Hewitt. <laughs> oh, Jennifer Love Hewitt. That see that I had a Jennifer Love Hewitt poster on my wall, and let's just yeah, say that she took the place of <laughs> Janet Jackson for me. <laughs> Talk about taking agency over yourself. <laughs> <laughs> Indeed. All right. So number four for me, and this is uh, it's pretty pretty similar timeline. So the last one was 2001. This is October 2002. I'm 16 years old driving now you know some of that that personal agency is coming into play and my dad had given me all of his led zeppelin cds uh to listen to i I don't remember what the spark was there for me maybe i just wanted to listen to the music my dad liked or whatever but literally in a row he has all the zeppelin cds and so i went and chronologically listened to them which is something i do now with big artists to try and put together a playlist and try to understand artists better. But this is really the first time I had done that, especially with an older artist. And so the song specifically is Good Times, Bad Times, Led Zeppelin, which is the first song on Zeppelin 1. It is the first Led Zeppelin song. The don't don't in the days of my... And so like every time I hear that, because I remember putting them on by myself, and this is another another conversation about agency. I'm in my room at night with my disc man. I put the CD in and I'm listening to it on my headphones and I'll never forget those first tones of that song. And then from there, I've gone on to absolutely love Led Zeppelin. Haven't done it on my music friends yet, but definitely will. And uh, yeah, I mean, that that private life, like something you never really thought of when you were a kid, but you start to seek it out more and more, especially when I'm 16, I'm trying to get away from my parents. Uh, and then I think there's also a direct line here to British, invade, 
British Invasion, classic rock, God's Honest Rock and Roll. So uh, amidst the emo and pop punk thread, I kind of on the other side had like this Led Zeppelin obsession, fascination. And uh, that would, I think, bear some fruit later on. Yeah, absolutely. And Led Zeppelin is another of, you know, just an impossibly long line of artists that didn't make it into mind. But I had, I certainly had my teenage Led Zeppelin mind blown moment. Um, yeah, mine same. You know, keeping with uh, in in time. 2001 let's talk a little indie rock i mean you trade in punk and emo and ska for indie rock so obviously someday by the strokes is i mean if that's not that's not well shit what was the first the first uh single on that i think was uh last night no last night was the second and then the first one was uh I'll you work know, on that. Whatever. You want to keep, keep yeah. Going? <laughs> yeah, Google that. But uh, <laughs> I was resistant at first. I don't know why my friends jumped on to is this it? It was all anyone can talk to in the fall that year. You know, college starts. I was in that was my second year of college. Um, everyone's so on it that my contrarian you know disposition just kind of kicked in and i'm like well i don't know someday was the third single release and i had just acquiesced i'm like there's no point this is actually perfect my best friend in college was just like dude get on the boat like what the hell are you waiting for and obviously that's just now we're talking everything that happened in that first push of indie Interpol, Arcade Fire, um, insert any band, Block Party. I mean, 2001 to 2005, like just pick an artist. I started my, I, I played drums in our little dance rock keyboard band in college. And we like were, you know, mildly known around Michigan State. And it was just, uh, yeah, it was just kind of a swaggy indie rock kind of college uh, experience for me. And that was the first song that just kind of cracked open the whole indie sphere. So yeah, the strokes, what else do I got here? I mean, anything like Meet Me in the Bathroom, that book is is pretty great at capturing that moment. So a lot of those artists that are mentioned, um, the national and stuff like that. I mean, I love those bands and any of them could have been included, but again, I adhered to kind of just the first song, like the moment that it switched. So yeah, that would have been fall semester. Oh, one bro. I have, I have too many thoughts for, first of all, uh, it's too much to say about that. I'm going to have to stop the podcast now, but the, the, the first thought is, uh, hard to explain was the first single on the record. Um, so next thing I was going to say is, holy shit, did we go down the same path with this? I'm, I'm starting to think about free will and whether we actually had any choice over <laughs> what happened in our musical choices because clearly we were just on kind of the same track. Yeah, you got to experience that 2000 rock renaissance in real time. I mostly was kind of blinded by the 
the emo stuff. I graduated high school in 2004, so I was still mostly just like pumping the emo pop punk into my veins at that point. But my next song, and it's just going to follow the exact same track as yours. So this is uh, December 2005, which would make it uh, about halfway through my sophomore year of college. Freshman year of college, um, mostly a lot of the same stuff. But freshman year of college, weed came into my life. And I think that's oh. uh, a conversation that <laughs> is, is just weaved in and out of like the rest of uh, the music or the, the rest of the songs that we picked here. So December 2005, I'm 19 years old. It's winter in uh, Kalamazoo, Michigan. And Carrying is Creepy by The Shins is that song. Oh, yeah. And so this one, th- so when we sat down to do this exercise, I really didn't make any notes until like I really, we really started drilling down a, a date to to do the pod. But this was the first thing I wrote down. It, it was, it's, it truly was like the thing that broke everything open to me. I think there's definitely an alchemy here of weed, being in college, uh, some of the pretentiousness that is, uh, mm-hmm. you know, it can feel really good with music, which I try to get away from now, uh, but definitely was, was, was getting implemented at this time. So weed college, some of the introspection that comes with, uh, with smoky weed and, and being a little bit more of a person in the world, even though I'm still in kind of the college bubble. Plus I got to give a shout out to, to Zach. Uh, we've always been super tight music friends. And like at this time he was exploring a lot too. And I think there was some cross pollination. I couldn't remember exactly where I heard this song. I never watched the movie, uh, uh, the Zach Braff movie where this, this song became famous. Yeah, Garden State. Um, Garden State. I, I don't think I ever watched that movie, so it wasn't from there. But you're the one. You're the one person that never saw that movie. I, I'm the <laughs> one person that grew up in that era and didn't see the movie. But I remember going home. Good for, for you. That's you should wear that as a badge of honor. Honestly. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> I yeah. I went home for Christmas. I think this year. And it was it was that pursuit thing. It was like I heard this song and I'm like, Jesus Christ, I need to seek out the CD. And I think I bought the CD with like the, you know, it was like $14.99 and I had like $21.99 in my bank account or whatever. And yeah. uh, just <laughs> put it in the, the hey, Jeep yep. Wrangler CD player and just like it's spun like, it. Like lunch or the new Shin CD. Like <laughs> yeah. not even a question. <laughs> Dude, there's this story about Hendrix buying Blonde on Blonde with literally his last like $6 or whatever. I, <laughs> I think about that a lot. But uh yeah, so this one, this one fucked me up. This one was like, okay, you know, I don't know. Like some of these lyrics are pretty specific to the point about, you know, what Mercer was thinking, but some of it leaves a lot more to be discovered. And I think that that dynamic started to get into me. And again, with with weed, this allowed me to open or at least deepen connections that I already had with The Who, with Jimi Hendrix, with Pink Floyd, these bands that are kind of prototypical college bands. And there's nothing special about this arc for me versus other people going to college and, and deepening their love for classic rock. But that's what I think this this song really tr- truly kind of marks a pivot into music that isn't as immediate and music mm-hmm. that uh, takes a little bit more to get into. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Man, I mean, we are just in lockstep. So that's my next song. And in 2003, I took the summer. It was my, I think, the uh, actual junior. song. Uh, no. What? Oh, the song, my song coming up is the song that 
kicked it open and I'm like, okay, I can listen to everything now. Sorry. Um, sorry, sorry big sorry. weed, big weed year in 03. I took the summer off like to go kind of live at a buddy's place in North Carolina. Uh, one of my good friends in college, his brother had a house down there and he's like, yeah, you idiots can just like spend the summer in North Carolina and have a ball. That's when I met my buddy drew who still lives in North Carolina and he shout out drew dude he and his uh friend andy most like two most knowledgeable music heads ever and i'm 21 i'm starting to get my footing i think it's like really cool to listen to you know the yeah yeah yeah's and shit like that they're like yep yeah, we listen to all that too but have you listened to all this just walls of vinyl records like every dude has got like every cd ever like it was just this was my moment this is when i discovered talk talk which we which was my music friend selection would be remiss not to bring it back but also just add a little context because i don't think i did before i mean the rainbow was the first song i heard first song off my favorite record spirit of eden thanks to drew and andy and their admitted pretentiousness they were pretty insufferable but i just had to kind of like i had to just roll up my sleeves take my you know take the hits and just realize that i was in the presence of two dudes with encyclopedic knowledge about music and i just had to learn and it was really this is really when uh like you said the moment at which the doors completely blow open and yeah in the summer of 2003 uh you know just on that record you get like jazz improv like post rock uh ambient like all these elements and so we'd sit around weed weed was certainly involved very heavily and just listen to vinyl like he's the first dude i knew that just had a massive vinyl collection uh vinyl's resurgence i feel like happened in 2007 2008 which is when i which is basically around the time that i started buying vinyl records i did have some vinyl back in the punk days like you know mail-in catalog kind of stuff nice um but yeah this is really the moment where i'm like okay i'm overwhelmed but it's comforting to know in a weird way that everything is on the table and I can just careen through any part of the musical universe and find something of value. Um, so this is when I started yeah, listening to a lot of Eno. Uh, I started getting into nice. jazz. I started getting into electronic music. And yeah, I have my buddy, my, my, my shepherd, Drew. Uh, just kind of took me through this and starting in 2000 the summer of 2003 I'd say that's when I really started enrolling in the uh, doctorate program of music nerddom I love it dude so so for 20 years basically you've been in a blasted off place where you're looking at music in a different way it wasn't just about identity that's something we haven't mentioned yet yep exactly it wasn't Yep. It wasn't about identity. It wasn't about pompousness. It's funny. It's like 
like you said, I definitely had the the hubris, you know, when I started yeah. like, oh, like building my own tastes. Like, yeah, man, I got it down. Like I was ready to pick fights about records in 2002 and shit. Yeah. But I came down hard in like 2000, between 2003 and 2006. And I was like, there is, there are oceans of music that I don't know anything about. And it just that was the point at which I started listening to more complex music, like music from all corners of the world and being a lot more humble about it. Because once you realize how big music is as an art form, I mean, it it just goes everywhere. You realize how small you are. And it's actually kind of comforting to know that no idiot like you don't know a fraction of a fraction of what you think you do about music. Yeah. Yeah. Totally agree. And you, you know, I want, I was going to say this, but I I'd be remiss to say that that, that teaching that was bestowed upon you has, has made its way into me. I, you know, later on and we'll get to it. I'll drop it right after this, but, but you certainly brought some of that energy to me and it's been important for me as well. So that's huge. When when you drop away from the identity of music, I can't believe we haven't mentioned that yet, but all through high school, middle school, before, all you're doing is you're picking things to like that show something about you. I like punk mm-hmm. music, so this is the, these are the clothes I wear and I wear this hat. This is me, you know? Like I, I'm trying to show people as a, as a placeholder for insecurity and, and a lack of self-confidence. It's like, here, these are the things that I like to do and it's on the table. It took me a lot longer to get to that place than you did. That's that's cool that you got to that pivot earlier than I did. So, all right. So for my sixth song, uh, still in college, still living in the same house in college. So not a ton has changed. This is November, 2006. I'm 20 years old. And I, I was lucky enough to get a internship uh, with classic 90s hip hop through my friend Matt Schwark. Uh, him and I met and connected over smoking weed and playing video games. And so in the interim, we listened to a shitload of hip hop and he got me, uh, he put in my hands, you know, the right Nas records, uh, the earlier Dre, Biggie and Pac, uh, Pac especially. So this song specifically is uh, Ambitions as a Rider, uh, Tupac. Uh, I was for this stretch just hammering all eyes on me and uh beyond that uh starting to go through tupac's catalog and i think why this is important is just i had liked hip-hop for a long time uh innumerable different rap and hip-hop songs that had made it onto cds of mine and cds that i had even purchased but i had never really felt connected and i feel like all eyes on me and 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 this moment allowed me to feel just more connected to it, uh, and that's gone on to be a, a pretty cool arm of the music I listen to. It's something that I I like to uh, flex as as often as possible. I I feel like that first connection with it started here, um, and there was a lot of songs I could have put it to, but I feel like this is the one I listened. To. And even on All Eyes on Me, there's probably 10 songs I like now more than this one, but I played Ambitions as a Rider 3,200 times this month that I've been here, (laughs) like just constantly. Um, Yeah, man. Tupac has this way, at least for me, I'll speak for myself, of always making me feel like whatever I'm doing is super cool and important. Like 
just bumping Tupac and and like Biggie and Nas, like I just feel sweet. I'm just like, yeah, dude, I'm awesome. Everything I'm doing is just like amazing. That's <laughs> always been like... a go-to utility for me with hip hop is is just like the confidence. It's like especially driving yeah, in the car just... with it. It's like I'm gonna fucking nail this interview. Like you know, it's yeah. no big deal, dude. Yeah, I could be I could be driving up to cvs to get toothpaste and toilet paper and it's just like <laughs> this is the most important like <laughs> it's the most important car ride i've ever taken like i'm gonna walk into cvs and just swag in there and buy the shit out of that toilet paper <laughs> give me the crest and the cottonelle and that's it darcy <laughs> dude there was i mean i've i've loved hip-hop so one of my one of my slights was um eminem I liked hip hop and like rap before that. I slighted Eminem. I am also in the process like slighting, you know, Biggie and Tupac and all that because I did. I loved that shit in '98. It's just like, dude, I can't. Every song can't be from like 1998 that I'm coming with here. So I definitely hear you on the like hip hop and rap tip. Um, mine, my seventh is when I really started getting into like really started getting into like country and folk and psychedelia like on a like on a different level one of my favorite artists is uh lee hazelwood i have kind of a country i have like a a trio of it's the it's the holy trinity of like my country singer songwriter uh world it's lee hazelwood it's towns van zant and it's mickey newberry and those would be three of my favorite artists forever um, but there's a song by there's a record by Lee Hazelwood called Cowboy in Sweden. And it's just like trippy and it's dark and it's sexy. And it just really started. This really kicked me off with like all things like cool country, outlaw country, psychedelia, because this is a genre that I cherish now and i didn't it's like that moment where something gets turned on you know and you're like it's like the kind of when people are like oh like remember i i like everything but rap and country used to be a, a yeah, thing that someone would say it's like well i mean okay what the hell are you actually talking about so this was another kind of this was either 2003 or 2004 when i discovered it it was in that era and i'm like oh okay like there is there are country quote-unquote country artists outlaw country whatever psychedelic artists that are making music and i that i just love and cherish like towns van zant is a genius and like you know i i could have put one of his songs on there but this is just one i had to include this because this is when a whole genre starts to click for you like an entire new world that you were otherwise just closed off to it's like jazz i mean it's so large you almost don't even know how to approach it you don't even know how to yeah. interface with it. you're like where do i start okay i'm gonna start with uh whatever miles or train or what insert any artist i just was lucky that in the sphere of country and like folk singer songwriters i zeroed in directly into what made sense for me and yeah Liesel, lee hazelwood did that for me anything off that record i chose the song the night before um but anything off cowboy in sweden by lee hazelwood formative record always going to be a top 20 
and again just gave me more colors on the palette to work with you know still um you got to be open to the fact that you just don't know everything and yeah that those three those three artists especially really just gave me more uh, a lot more color to work with i feel like you were carmen san diego and i'm just like following behind three steps too too slow you know uh and i just <laughs> like keep coming up well like i didn't have and i don't have it written down as a kind of main awakening but there was a moment in 2016 17 when i was chasing down all country and it was the first time i was really pursuing country as well i don't think it it was ever in contention for one of these songs but yeah man it sounds like that's like he sounds a little like proto Sturgill and Sturgill has been just huge mm-hmm. in my life over the last five, six years. Yeah. I mean, he did, he wrote, uh, these boots are made for walking. That's what he's best known for. He did a okay. record with, he did a record with Nancy Sinatra, um, appropriately called Lee and Nancy. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's just, it's, it's fun to just kind of, yeah. Add, add things to the to the repertoire you know yeah it's the, it's the curiosity man and and this is this goes back to the identity piece too it's like when you're younger was it cool to listen to country no hell no no of course <laughs> of course not so like you, avo- when you, old- you avoided it it's like you screwed yourself <laughs> by being closed by like being myopic if you if you said that to someone you know they'd be like oh this guy is a fucking loser you know yeah so, so so you avoid that but but then later on as you've already blasted off here you're able to look at these things and just be like oh this is interesting oh this is interesting so that's that's cool man uh my seventh an artist that has been named thus far and this is another this is another big pivot another big cluster of music this is like later college um you know, new group of friends, established my myself in Kalamazoo. Uh, it's 2008. I'm 21 years old. Um, you know, hitting the bars, being a numbskull, doing all these things. But a lot of so like the echoes of the early 2000s rock stuff hit me uh, around this time, you know, four to five years late. So this song is rich by the AES, which is on that first record of theirs fever to tell mm-hmm. uh also in this cluster uh arcade fire this is when i really started loving arcade fire uh interpol kings of leon decemberus raconteurs uh that second raconteurs record i remember uh zach was at class and itunes surprise dropped it and i texted him i was like hey motherfucker i'm listening to a new raconteurs <laughs> record right now what are you doing <laughs> Uh, uh, this is when Tool came into uh, into my world. Stevie Ray Vaughan came into my world. Uh, and this was, for me, the rise of music supremacy. This was when I was like, I know a lot about music. Uh, you think you know a lot about music? I know a lot about music. And it was unrealistic, <laughs> and it was really just mostly relegated to kind of the rock realm. Um, but it was definitely like the, if not the height of the pretension, it was when I... I drove up to the plateau and then continued to walk uh, down it. So, yeah, a big one. And I, 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 this is actually a song I still really like. I really like the Yeah, Yeah, How do you feel about them? I don't know that we've ever talked about yeah, them. Yeah, they're they're great, especially those first uh, few records I was mm-hmm. totally into. Those were, well, you know, circle back to the 
you know, New York conversation, the meet me in the bathroom era, yeah. you know, fever to tell was huge. We, my buddy and I would just blare that record and yeah. play drums to it, uh, in aforementioned friends, brother's house. It was just afternoons of, of pot and, uh, just smashing the drum set, just carrying yeah. out, just tearing up the kit and just, uh, <laughs> yeah, just, uh, what, what kind of just BS can we get into like immediately from the book? I know we <laughs> both read, uh, meet me in the bathroom. I remember a lot about when she was talking about making this record about making fever to tell and, and like a lot of first albums, there's a long story usually. Uh, about you know the relationship with the record company, keeping the band together, making sure you pick your best songs. Um, that's why a lot of times that that first record can be the best. But then I remember her t- saying specifically that sh- they were in misery writing the second one, "Show Me Your Bones," which I liked mm-hmm. a lot. It was a lot poppier, uh, but I liked it. But then, ironically, uh, they released an album in either this year that I'm speaking of, 2008 or 2009, called "It's Blitz." And it was more electronic. Heads Will Roll is on there. Skeletons. Yep. It's a fucking amazing album. I actually gave it strong consideration when we first, when we did our first music friends because I was in a bit of a yeah yeah yeah's hole. But anyway, man, uh, this was this this one marked a, a a cluster of modern alternative rock and arrogance for me. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah. No, it's good. Yeah. The uh, the pivot points, man. I. My my next one's it's it's another weird deep cut that no one knows, but vinyl was two thousand eight. Okay, some of my most like like the things that please me aesthetically about music a lot a lot of it revolves around like space and uh you know like just ethereal vibes. I'm really into chill music when i started listening to records that kind of opened up that like whatever you want to call it humanness of the record or just that tangibility you know um like shoegaze is definitely one of my favorite genres and just texture i just really respond to like warmth and texture and just yeah just ethereal vibes um and I fell down a hole with a, an artist. Uh, so uh, Liz Harris is her name. She goes under the moniker Grouper. And uh, I just, that kind of wrapped a bow on all, you know, I could have included like a slow dive song or a My Bloody Valentine song or a Cocteau Twin song or whatever, you know, whatever shoegaze track you want to list but this kind of tied a bow on all that this record came out in 2008 uh there's my favorite song on the record it's called heavy water i'd rather be sleeping and um it just kind of like tonally represents maybe like some of the my favorite sounds on earth it just Mm. sounds like it's coming from this beautiful place in outer space and it's very heavenly it's very warm and yeah it's just a textural masterpiece and again this is just i think it was super important for me because this is when i just started becoming a certified junkie with vinyl and all my friends jumped in and we would just at that point 
like the gloves were probably fully off at that point. I think not to say that I haven't evolved in the past, you know, 12, 15 years with music, but it just now becomes more about like knowing what you like and trying to seek out those things. Um, and yeah, this was, which is much wider then and now than it was before. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Like I'm always going to be adding, you know, I want to believe that uh, I'm not dead yet. I'm always going to be like engaged in adding sounds, but sometimes it's just like you reach that point where you're like, okay, like literally anything, like give me anything and I'll know, you know, I'll know if I like it or not. Usually it's like, I'll, I'll give something a chance, but you kind of know your, your compass is kind of dialed in, you know, you start to like, understand if you're going to put time into discovering new music whether it's current or whether it's from 60 years ago you just fine tune you know your compass and you can more easily zero in on the things that you're pretty sure that you'll like if that makes any sense yeah broadening both a sonic and verbal vocabulary uh, to mm-hmm. to kind of input these things, yeah, that's that's beautiful. I don't I don't know that song at all, but I think you did a great job explaining um, how it f- sounds, how it feels to you. Uh, for number eight, for me, uh, this is December 2012. I'm 27 years old, so we're jumping four years here. I graduate college. Uh, can't re- I don't really find a, a place like with a job that that really works. I end up moving to Chicago for this job. And I was, I was pretty sad in Chicago. Frankly, I, I did not reach out to the friends enough that I had there. So there was a lot of me kind of walking around Chicago, sad, frankly. And, uh, mm-hmm. so this song, December, 2012, I'm 27 years old. This is money trees by Kendrick Lamar featuring J rock. And this basically represents my ability to connect with hip hop on an emotional level. Uh, Kendrick really fucks me up. Like he's he's one of the best artists we have, uh, but this album specifically, he is detailing uh, when he's a kid. You know, just kind of like being a kid and like getting into trouble, and that looks different uh, when you grow up where he did. But there was just through line that I was able to make that just allowed me to walk around Chicago and be sad to a hip hop album instead <laughs> of like a arcade fire album or whatever. (laughs) So I listen to that album now and it's, it's a bit of a cringe, like as great as that record is like, but it's, I listened to it so much. I leaned on it so much. It was such a crutch for me, uh, in Chicago that it's, it's kind of a bummer, but money trees stands out the most because it's still my favorite song probably. And, and like brings me some joy. It's kind of an upbeat song. And uh, yeah, so this was like my the next level for hip hop for me. I think it's it's mm. probably where I stand now, where it's not just a novelty genre for me. It's it's something that I can absorb and like um, give some some real thought to, and and specifically hear some real emotion to. Well, oddly enough, my ninth song is "Swimming Pools Drink." by Kendrick Lamar. Oh, baby, yes. Oh, man, right on cue. As if, uh, just in case anyone thought that we were uh, colluding here. Uh, dude, I don't know. I don't I don't have, I don't have 
you know, you obviously this is now we're like talking about associations you have with the records. All I can say is like, despite having been a fan of hip hop, that record came out in 12. I mean, I was a fan of hip hop since I don't know, early mid 90s. Um, sometimes you just know when it's time to crown the next king mm. and swimming mm. like swimming pools was just it was just the first one i it was just the first kendrick lamar song i heard so that's yeah. why i included it i actually considered money trees i considered you know a couple tracks of that record but uh yeah suffice it to say i i don't have much more to add other than sometimes you just know it when you hear it and kendrick is i'm all in on kendrick new record coming out in a couple of weeks man like i am i'm here for every damn part of kendrick yes i, I didn't know you had that deep of feelings for him because i do too and i'm i'm very excited for the new one i i relish all of his uh his previous work and yeah with hip-hop uh i found it was interesting that I went through this like Tupac to Kendrick lineage here and I I really didn't do it on purpose, but I think it's not insignificant on the, at the end of to pimp a butterfly. Kendrick does that phony interview with Tupac. I don't know if you remember that, but clearly looks at him as kind of the, the Messiah. And um, I wouldn't, think that you're too far off to say that Kendrick kind of became that. It was like when LeBron made the finals in 2007, you know, beating the Pistons, it was way before he was supposed to. And it's like, whoa, mm -hmm. like this guy is not just a novelty anymore. Like this is for real. That's so cool, man, uh, that you picked when you went back to back there. Uh, <laughs> no, my number that, nine. Yeah, that, that's good. Yeah. Uh, my number nine. And this is a big one. This is a big cluster here. I'll try to unwrap it as, as best I can. This is October 2015. I'm 30 years old. I've moved back home from Chicago, uh, living with my parents at 30. Not, you know, a great place to be. But uh, this was a this was amidst a, a broad awakening in a lot of ways for me creatively, romantically. This is where Rebecca comes into my life. And Scotty, this is where you come into my life. So I'm bartending on weekends at uh, Punchbowl Social in Detroit. And there's just a there's a wide range of music being thrown at me. I keep forgetting to, to mention the song here, but the song specifically is uh, Cry by Carly Rae Jepsen. And mm -hmm. this is this is for me where I kind of break open the like music is not about identity thing. It's like you you listen to what you enjoy, seek out things you enjoy, seek out things because they're interesting. I think that's a huge part of this too. So uh, this is when Carly Rae, I, I never in a million years would have thought that that's an artist I would have liked, uh, but she started making amazing pop music around this time. Emotion and Emotion Side B are both awesome records. So Carly Rae, this is when I start liking Taylor Swift too. Solange, you pointed um, that one Solange song that you fucking love and it, and it kind of opened the eyes for me too. Um, mm -hmm. Beyonce, Lemonade is about this time. So as I say this, uh, it is to say that female pop just like just like blows up in me. Uh, MIA, uh, I'd go on to enjoy SZA, uh, Madonna, like you know, dating back to Madonna, which we did for Music Friends. Um, it just feels like 
I also was able to raise the ceiling for how to enjoy music because this is when my wife comes into my life. And if I'm being honest, a lot of the female pop that she was into, I get into, we can enjoy it together. It creates this cocktail of like just joy, you know, that we can we can mm -hmm. enjoy together. And some of that was before meeting her and us and us connecting. But, uh, you know, uh, a lot of it was before that, too. So it's just kind of this beautiful meld that went on. And yeah, just a huge, huge eye opener. I mean, this is when it's a little bit before uh, the or this song is a little bit before that. But this is when I'd come and hang out with you when you were DJing at uh, Punchbowl. I buy my first vinyl record on the way down to Punchbowl when you were doing some kind of special night thing for them. I can't remember exactly what it was. But I bring my the first vinyl I've ever bought up to your DJ booth and we played this Black Keys record, you know, which probably was, you know, not a great fit for the music that was going on. But, you know, fuck it anyway. And uh, yeah, I just started looking at music differently, dude. And you 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 played a, a role in that. Like I looked at the way you talked about music and the way that you interpreted interface with it. And the the ego is just like just not there as much as far yeah. as, you know, other people that I talked to that. I perceive to know a lot about music. And I think I really wanted to get there. I was like, it's, I'm holding on to something that just like makes me feel worse overall. Like, like just bring anything and everything that feels good and be curious. And I think that's this, these, these last two are kind of like a two part finale where it's, it, it kind of sets the stage for where I'm at and mostly where I'm going. Well, dude, that's a hell of a compliment. And like we already talked about, I certainly had uh, people in my life that came before that helped me understand a lot of these things. Like, you know, I think it's, I forget exactly how you said it, but basically it's about being malleable. It's about yeah being curious and willing to learn and willing to, you know, find the beauty in new sounds and new textures and new artists and trying to just experience a little bit of ego death and not being so firm and rigid and understanding that like Robin bangs and Carly bangs and like, dude, yeah. like, that's totally, it's totally, it's all okay. right. Like, again, it's like, just, you just, kind of drop the identity thing and then you just let your general overwhelming love of music guide you and teach you and it's like never it never should be about learning everything it should just be about remaining open and yeah like you said i mean the curiosity that's one thing i hope i hope if i live until i'm 100 i remain curious about yeah things you know like that's that's the spice of life like that's the stuff that keeps you going um i guess that's a good segue into I, i'm so we'll do slighted but i had a huge disco post disco phase in like 2014 okay but <laughs> i'm jumping past that so we got Lamar in, in 2012 and I've been a Kung Fu Kenny fan ever since, but then there was a huge disco post disco phase in 2014. So insert like chic and, and Levan's paradise uh, club and everything that goes with that, including like Philly soul and, and um, Harold Melvin and the blue notes and the list just goes on and on. And that was a big thing, but I kind of wanted to end it with, 
something that came out this year and i just wanted to bookend it and by the you know in the way of saying that yes i uh regrettably will be turning 40 very soon um but damn it i still listen to new music and weirdly this band i've dreamt of this band three times like in the past since they dropped their their latest record and it's weird it's like i won't i won't bore you with talking about my dreams but just <laughs> suffice it to say like bands don't show up in my dreams very often like yeah i mean I don't are you know, going artists... are you going tommy lee jones at the end of no country i mean <laughs> artists just they don't they don't show up yeah like i i've crossed so i've crossed into like now we're in we're in the dream world and i just like there's i just have to give up this idea that like music doesn't like belong in my dreams just because it's never been there before mm. uh lo lofty intro but the my favorite band my favorite current band is big thief um oh, nice. I, saw, I saw them on saturday and i don't know what's going on with this fucking band but they are lodged in and all of their records are great they are doing something with modern indie folk gauzy country they're they are just prolific they are finding ways to push the musical envelope forward by just being a four piece that uses guitar guitar drums and bass mm. and uh i just highly recommend anything by big thief the my song of the year and i'm just i'm gonna be stubborn about it i don't think it can be beat is a track called flower of blood um off their new record and it's just it's a synthesis of so many um so many things i love about music so many sounds so many textures the music just comes from an absolute place of love and uh there's just there's i can only say so much good about this band it's 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 uh i don't know H highly highly recommended i needed there to be a 2022 uh track on there because if you're a music lover you should always be looking for something and i don't listen to quite the quantity of new music uh that i used to say 5 10 20 years ago as it's coming out but uh i hope to stay relevant as i move into my 40s and uh big big thief is helping me do that that's <laughs> a great thematic choice i listened to that album actually and I don't know anything about them. I haven't listened to any of their other albums. I, this new one was like 20 tracks long. Yeah, I right? actually wouldn't start. I actually wouldn't start with this. I'd actually go in chronological order if you yeah. care to to dig into it. And they don't have that much. They only have like five LPs. Nice. But yeah, uh, this is the new one's not the not the place to start. Enjoyed. Uh, didn't move me. But I also it was like one of those where I listened to it and I was like there's more here than I'm able to give. And I'm like, I'll have to listen to it another time. Like, um, I, I clearly, and, and the fact that you say there are four piece actually surprises me because that sounded like a lot of sound. Uh, I, I was yeah. picturing like a, you know, like one of the fucking 12 piece arcade fire type ensembles that was creating this kind of no, sound. 
<laughs> yeah, it just sounds like that. It just sounds like you're listening to at least seven musicians, but word. A lot okay. of those are overdubs and stuff. A lot of guitar overdubs and stuff, but the two guitarists in that in that group are very very talented. I feel like you landed this in a more poetic place than I did. My last song um as as I was looking forward to me I I hoped would represent the way aspirationally I was going to look at music going forward. And so this is March 2016. I'm 30 years old. This isn't much much uh, that far after uh the song before. So um my wife and I broke up a couple times before we got married. This is one of the times where we were apart and I went to Peru by myself uh, to try and be sad, you know, figure it out. <laughs> and uh, I remember being in my small hostel room in Aguas Calientes, which is the town at the base of Machu Picchu. Mm-hmm. And I'm doing a, a core workout using like the, the beams of the, the, uh, bunk beds, you know, and like actually get this good workout in. And this song comes on that I've heard a trillion times, but just felt like it was totally fresh and new. And it's I'm Looking Through You by the Beatles uh, off of Rubber Soul. And uh, all the lyrics just were so perfect for how I felt about, you know, how Becca and I were at that moment. Um, and so this to me opens up the period where I, I'm in now and I, and I hope to be going forward, which is just the the repurposing, the digging, seeking to find energy from uh, not only new releases, but maybe maybe more often finding new edges in familiar places, uh, going back through all these catalogs that we have and, and not focusing so much on new music, which I do listen to a lot of new music, but, you know, finding like the Bowie album that, that made the difference and like, you know, going through Neil's catalog and being like, holy shit, fucking, you know, the beach is amazing, you know? So oh, trying yeah. to find <laughs> uh, new ways to enjoy older music. And like, I've been really finding a lot of energy in that. And that really is, is some of the energy that was sourced uh, to put together Music Friends. I'd had the idea for Music Friends for a couple of years. And shout out to Nick Fell, uh, who was the first guest who kind of like poked me and pushed me to do it. But um, it was really about, you know, uh, finding this uh, this way to enjoy uh, all the time. Even stuff that I've, you know, in one of my lives felt a different way. I want to listen to it now and feel a different way. And so going forward, that's what I'm shooting for. That's what I'm hoping for, basically. Yeah, that's awesome. And just as poetic, like just got to yeah, be open and allow ourselves to change, allow ourselves to always remain like soft and, you know, uh, spongy to the world of, of music. Because, yeah, yeah like, that's kind of that's sort of a great way to end. Like we people do change and the way that you listen to music does change and isn't that strange that something that is fixed like a song, like a song is never going to be re-recorded. It's on the same record. sounds exactly yeah. the same, but it can give you new meaning and it can, it can be something different today than it was yesterday. Very powerful, man. Uh, do you want to hit some snubs before we get out of here? Yeah, I think I, I think I hit a few John, Jesus snubbed genres. Let's talk classic rock jazz disco <laughs> post disco i mean nothing yeah. really uh, man classic rock uh, it could be anything you did a better job of representing that and you know i definitely had stones 
Stones mm. vibes and Beatles vibes and Zeppelin and Hendrix and like all the greats. Uh, I don't know why. I, I don't know why. Uh, I don't know why it wasn't included in my list, but that was, you know, it's probably Virginia. when I. Sweet, sorry, yeah. Sweet Virginia was written in pen for me. I, I so mm-hmm. thought it was going to be one of them. And this is a, a song that we connected on quite a bit. Um, but I, what it, when it came down to it for me, it was like, I just I just love this song. It didn't really change anything for me. It's, I just yeah. absolutely love it. Yeah. And classic rock was always, that was another thing that was always kind of there. I mean, I started with, you know, the oldies and the, you know, oldies 104.3. But, you know all those artists, all those classic rock artists, they were always part of the fabric. They were like always in the backdrop. So yeah, that got, that got snubbed. Um, I don't know, maybe like Radiohead, Aphex Twin, mm. Brian, e- Brian Eno, uh, a couple of those like country artists, although I included one. Um, Leonard Cohen's Death of a Ladies Man is a record that just crushes me, but I wasn't going to put two Phil Spector produced songs on it. Um, <laughs> So, yeah, man, I mean, a lot of things got the snub. Those are some of the biggest, um, dare I say, Eminem. That was kind of like, oh, really? <laughs> my name is like sort of like turned me on my head. <laughs> uh, so Stan is definitely on the snub list for me because the first time I listened to Stan on headphones with my family Ooh, around, I was that like, song is this? Is this for real? Is this happening? What, what I know, did I just dude, hear? My ears were not, not, not ready for that song specifically. And the rest of the album doesn't get it, uh, you know, much more agreeable to your senses when you're 10 years old or whatever. Oh, yeah, it's a lot, man. After they did, after the Super Bowl halftime show, I definitely went back and revisited like the first few Dre records and the first couple Eminem records, which definitely still hold up. Absolutely. So I've got Rage, as we talked about. I think the song off of um, Battle of L.A. would have been Calm Like a Bomb. As many good songs mm-hmm. as there are on that, but Calm Like a Bomb seemed to stand out. When I when I left Chicago, as I said, I was kind of sad in Chicago. Uh, I went to Spain for a month and just lived life. And there's uh, an album by Bombay Bicycle Club that came out like a month before I left, and I must have listened to it. 106 times while I was in Spain. So like the first song on that album, and this is where I, I tried to make the distinction. It's like, I it didn't necessarily change something for me, but when I listened to it, it's like, whoa. There's a new Pornographers album that I listened to on that trip a lot too. And there's a couple of songs off that that like I listened to and I'm just transported. But again, not, not exactly the way I was framing the exercise. Kings of Leon in that 2007, 2008 modern alt rock thing uh man did we really hammer um that third kings of leon record um which the name escapes me i'll look up just just for posterity but um what else did i have the uh yeah sweet virginia already talked about i think i think those are all the ones i i really strongly considered any any other ones you want to hit uh no i mean we're just gonna have to do some other version of this uh in the future man there's so much music but uh yeah, agreed I that's 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 good shit we could sit here and talk for hours about this but uh no this was great this was like a perfectly engaging and to a fun degree infuriating uh exercise trying to just whittle down like 
a sequoia tree of music into like a number two pencil. And so hopefully we, I think we did, I think we did well. Perfectly put. If you, and if yeah. you, and you know, if anyone else thinks this is so damn easy, they can try it themselves. <laughs> Agreed. We, we started with this <laughs> simple little idea and little did we know that we we're going to be dredging up all this, all this other bullshit. Be, because of the times is the Kings of Leon album I was trying to think of. Scott, okay. thank you for joining yes. me on this journey thank, and uh, thank you. onward and upward, bud. Let me ask you something. When did music become so important? It's always been important. I mean, jingles, yeah. No, everybody keeps coming and looking for a, some song. And they're so specific. You love specific. I have no idea what's going on out there. Well, no one can keep up. It's always changing. So, Dylan, what is the album going to be? Oh, man. Well, Danny, we have known each other for a very, very long time. I, I'm pretty sure we met back in around third grade, third, four, maybe fourth. I don't know. It was elementary school for sure. I think that's right. Um, yep. And we've got a lot of, uh, we've got a lot of mutual friends. We grew up, you know, you and I grew up together listening to a lot of the same music up through middle school, maybe up through high school. Uh, and then, uh, you know, our tastes and all our friends' tastes kind of started to diverge a little bit. Um, there you go. I, however, stayed exactly where I was, <laughs> squarely in the punk rock, screamo, pop punk arena. And uh, so when you when you asked me about this, all I could think about was those years coming up and just learning about music back in high school. So <clears throat> I want to take you back to the summer after our sophomore year of high school. Yes. 2002. Okay. A little album called Sticks and Stones. By newfound glory oh baby give it to me it oh my me. god yes the moment you texted me all i could think about was, I was like, <laughs> oh what's got me sticks and stones that was the summer after sophomore year it was 2002 of course it's gonna i'm gonna talk to danny about this oh man that is awesome uh one of the bands from those years that like ring out like every time i go back and listen to them it's it's i actually uh yeah wow what a pick um yeah i'm with it man did you so it sounds like it really struck you uh was there anything any other albums that you considered or was it just that that bolt of lightning i, I it was it was basically a bolt of lightning I, I feel like even when i read a text from you that just said hey dill i was like i heard understatement <laughs> in my head <laughs> like it just started playing it's that 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 summer and that time of my life is just so clear and it's so full of memories and just so rich um like it, that this album is just the soundtrack to it and on top of that for me i mean newfound glory has been constant like in my life since then they they're still going they're still making albums i'm still going to their shows and you know they're now they're present on like social media which we have now and we never had before and i can like see all the stuff about these guys that have just you know written all these songs about what feels like me you know through my yeah. entire life so it's just so meaningful to me i don't know they're, they're one of my favorite bands of all time so first thing yeah i i'm actually going to try to restrain myself because i share all of the same sentiments about that exact moment i when that album came out because it went into summer and it, i feel like it was I probably listened to it 76 times that summer, you know, <laughs> like, uh, 
and and all the emotions and like everything that was going on i have a ton to say i uh i'm excited uh what a great pick the other thing i was going to say is yeah how cool uh to enjoy that band then and then as the internet really blows up being able to connect with them in ways that we never really were uh when just cds were coming out and you could look on a website to see when a band was playing and like that was that was kind of it you know you could maybe order merch but <laughs> um yeah um, get on get on limewire and download some viruses and maybe the album if you're lucky <laughs> there will definitely be a limewire retrospective during uh this episode <laughs> no question no question dude all right so for my choice uh, I definitely, I definitely went through much more of a process. I, I might have landed somewhere close to where I began, but I, I definitely went through kind of a roundabout. So, I too started somewhere around all those albums that we listened to in your basement when we were playing Halo and shooting pool and hanging out, just like being in high school talking about girls and whatever else. So uh, the Blue Album by Weezer was one that I gave some very serious thought to. I feel like that was always uh, in pretty steady steady rotation on the uh, the Foley disc changer, uh, which I yeah, remember very changer, vividly. Yeah. Uh, Please tell you me know. you're not going to pick Nellyville because that was in there too. <laughs> no, I, I, <laughs> I thought about it, but <laughs> no. Um, so... I, I wanted to pick something with a pulse, something with like some like real rock kinetic energy, because even beyond the stuff that we connected on um, for pop punk, there are rock bands that you and I have enjoyed together, too, that were a little harder. So I, I went back and I, I started thinking about maybe the Ramones. I've been listening to the self-titled Ramones record uh, that had been doing something for me. I thought about the Strokes, which is a band that was popular and kind of blew up at the same time that we were hanging out, but one that we never really connected with. And then one, the last kind of honorable mention that almost stole the show about an hour and a half ago because I listened to it and I was like, oh man, am I going to change my mind here? But, uh, and that was Nevermind by Nirvana, uh, just a motherfucker of a rock album, titan of the, you know, the genre and would have been fun to really kind of have those big conversations. But yeah, I... I landed on an album with a with a serious pulse uh, and uh, something that's that's pretty electric, and that's 1992 self-titled debut album by Rage Against the Machine. Oh man, are you kidding me? <laughs> yeah, baby, we're going there. We're going there, Dylan. It took it took 11 episodes to get to a Rage album, but we're there, baby. We're there. Oh my god, I, damn, I am so honored because I was like, I, 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 okay, sticks and stones. I said was a flash of lightning, but it, it, that was the initial flash, and I did the same thing you did. I worked around some other ones and got back to it. Rage Against the Machine, Battle of Los Angeles crossed my mind dozens of times as I was trying to think of this, and all I kept thinking was. I, I don't deserve Rage Against the Machine. <laughs> I was like, this is for Zach. This is for this is for Dave. This is for Weedy. This has got to oh. be somebody. But I am I am thrilled with that pick. I'm excited to get into that one. Yeah, it it serves a couple of different purposes. I I certainly know the record very well. Uh, but the the real true genesis of the band I don't know that well, and they're a little secretive. Uh, but there are set are definitely like clues as to 
their formation. And, and there's some other acts that kind of came up in that in that same bubble, uh, like Cypress Hill and Tool, uh, that are, were often associated. Even like Wu-Tang Clan, who I think they toured with, was just kind of like this weird moment of like angsty metal and rap and whatever it else. Um, so... Yeah, uh, I'm, I'm very excited for that. Uh, Battle of L.A. has kind of been my long-reigning favorite album. Like when people are like, what's your favorite album? I, I think for a very, very long time, it's it's coming into a little bit of question now, but I think it's still like the, you know, the wow. contender. Like it, it's, it's, it's just remained, it has like this purity for me. So the other thing I considered, which I didn't, mentioned during the honorable mentions there is just the other three rage albums <laughs> i yeah, kind of yeah. was thinking about uh maybe which one to do but we're going to start at the beginning we're going to talk about how they got together all that raw energy that's on that first record i like every single song on that album is good uh and we're talking about honestly um if not my favorite band uh at least in the top five of my favorite like catalogs or discographies i've always loved that rage's ca uh, catalog is simple it's like self-titled uh evil empire battle of la and then they do the live album or not live album but the uh cover album um mm -hmm. which they they covered all the you know the different artist songs and then they did a live album and then i think they did a 20th anniversary for the self-titled but it's all pretty oh. succinct it gets like they have a couple albums it's not a lot of bullshit not a lot of fat yeah. you know uh, so again, I mean, we're gonna start we at the beginning. Tom we're Morello's do career and and explore that too, because then we got a lot of places to go. So that's that's true. like ten other podcasts. That's true. That's true. And and I welcome all of the <laughs> the things he's touched, because man, that that guy is fucking awesome. Yeah. But uh, yeah, dude, I am super stoked. Uh, it is kind of crazy. Too. It took eleven to get to to rage. Uh, but man, <laughs> we're gonna go there together. I'm shocked, and I'm I, like I said, I am honored. I'm I'm really looking forward to digging into this one. I like, I, I have plenty of memories of blasting Rage Against the Machine in the Durango or whatever car. Durango, with you. baby. Yes. <laughs> and like, yeah, it wasn't it wasn't always self titled, so I'm excited to like dive into this one and learn a little bit more about it too. Because that was a little before. I mean, we were listening to Rage when it came out. We had to go back to grab that one, right? That's exactly right. Uh, I remember I liked Battle of L.A relatively in the time that it came out. I remember that was like eighth grade. I think 99 was was Battle of L.A. Uh, yeah. And I remember people had it and like that was when I really started listening to it. But it wasn't until shit really maybe late high school, but mostly college that I looked back and looked at Evil Empire mm -hmm. and, and the first one a little bit. But yeah. Um, yeah. Well, good shit, man. I uh, I couldn't be more excited. Two excellent choices. Me too. We're taking it. We're taking it way back. Forget about this new age music. We don't need any of that crap. <laughs> yeah, bro. 20, 30 years. <laughs> Fuck them. <laughs>